welcome to the Yak Sports Podcast with Joe Deck and Leela McRae. So welcome into another episode of the Yak Sports Podcast. I'm Leela McRae. Joe Deck is with me. And you might notice during this recording that we might have some old references. We've done our best to swing back to Tuesday night and add in some additional recording uh, that has the most up-to-date information that we didn't have Monday night when we did record. And so we had Mike Barber on from the Richmond Times-Dispatch. He was nice enough to hop back on with us and re-record the conversation that we talked about Virginia Tech football, where we were talking about the potential of Coach Fuente being fired. Uh, And then Tuesday, we all... Uh, on our way to work and dropping kids off to school, we we find out that Coach Fuente has indeed been fired. So we want to come back and hit that with Mike Barber. You'll hear that during the B block after he previews the ACC basketball season. Um, but even without that, you, you might hear a, a reference to Fuente still being the head coach in some of the other segments. And uh, just know that we tried to sub in best we could. Uh, we also caught the new information for Riverheads football. We also caught the new information for volleyball for Riverheads advancing as well so we tried to plug in the best we can on a Tuesday night uh, but just know uh, if you do hear a little jumping around uh, most of this should be up to date so with that let's get going with our local talk let's focus on high school football high school sports first and I'll let you kick us off here Joe let's start local in region 2b Stewart's draft they are the big winners against the Larray Bulldogs 44 to 7 in a game uh, that I believe you called yeah, and that's they won that game the way Stewart Trap likes to win a football game. The defense absolutely shut down Loray. They didn't give up a first down until the last drive for Loray in the first half. I mean, they were just doing nothing offensively. They found a little bit of spark there coming down the field, picking up a couple first downs. And it reminded me, I said it live on radio, that the whole Joe Joe idea that they Stuart Straft was just letting them come downfield to break their heart and not let them score before halftime. And that's exactly what happened. A big, a big uh, penalty hurt them there. Uh, but still, then, then there was confusion. They didn't know how to, you know, manage the clock. Loray didn't, they had timeouts and didn't use them. Um, but either way, they don't score. And then what that proved in that game was that Stuart Straft's a far better team than Loray. We already knew that. And if there was any question about that forfeit from earlier in the season, I said it then, Hey, if they did get to play this game, Stewart Draft wins that game, so the forfeit shouldn't shouldn't even hurt anybody's feelings. And so all of that proven, and uh, Stewart Draft moves on, and uh, it was just typical Cougar football, uh, especially in November these last few years. Yeah, it's a big win for them. I know they're getting ready for more region success, and they're hoping for more region success. Obviously, they got a big game coming up. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second, about when we look yeah. at the next week coming up, but... Yep. In this ball game, it's a much-needed win. I felt like they needed to come out strong against Larray. They did, uh, and oh yeah, I'm not. Really? I wasn't I mean, surprised no, when I no saw that hesitation. score. Yeah, I wasn't surprised when I saw that score. Yeah, uh, Graber had a great game. I mean, mm-hmm. you think about this freshman quarterback, and he's not a freshman anymore. He, he's a he's a sophomore, junior kind of level playing. Uh, he was great on both sides of the ball. He threw a touchdown. He ran for a touchdown. He caught an interception. He recovered a fumble. Like he was just all, it just seemed like he was like everywhere. And when you, you do talk about Aaron nice so much scoring those three touchdowns and every week you talk about Aaron nice a lot, you were saying Graber's name a whole lot in this football game, which is a great sign for a team that's going to be losing Aaron nice and losing some other seniors that you're used to saying there's their names, at least the last two years, if not three, four years, and uh, that's that's a good sign for the future. I, I was looking at Draft's roster after the game the other night, looking at some of these guys contributing. And 
you know, they're not going to drop off. You know, I, I don't think this is a situation where they just go to five and five next year after this run that they have had with Aaron Nice and everybody. I think they've really built a great program there. And when you go back to you go to back to back state championship games, you think, oh, well, that yeah, obviously they do. But I mean, we saw Wilson Memorial from this area, you know, competing at the state level year after year for three years, and you really thought, oh, okay, this is you know, this is just that another great program to stay at the top with Riverheads and. And they dropped way off. I don't see Stewart's draft doing that real soon. And uh, I, I think they have a couple more years at least in this run. And and the way the way it seems Coach Floyd has it going, I, I just I don't see this even ending in five years. I just expect draft to be competing, especially for two B regions, but but having their shot from there. And if you're winning the region, you're giving yourself a shot to win a state title. So I, it's just a really good program. I think that's really what I've seen this season, where I thought. After that dominant defense last year, you know, here it is for it to drop off, and it and it hasn't. I mean, not minorly, you know, from from the very peak of defense from last year to what they have this year, it's still a great defense. Yeah, I think that's been the success or the key to the yeah. success over this run has been their defense. Yes, yep. it's great to have Graber, and Graber's going to need to continue to improve if yep. if next year they're going to keep going and be a favorite sure. to be like you're talking about. Um, I will say, I do think. And you and I have talked about this, I think, on this podcast. I know we've said it on Friday night on the radio. Uh, folks look at what Riverheads does, and I think maybe they read too much into that. It's like, oh, well, every good team is just good forever. Well, no. no. Yeah. Um, that's not the case. And like you brought up Wilson, that's that's normal. You have a run yeah. of two to three years, and then you go through you know, the desert a little bit for two or three yeah. years, and then you build your way back up. It's not a given that you're just going to run through everyone every single year. So, Coach Floyd is doing. He's trying to do that at draft, yeah. and obviously, they're I still think looking he is for that doing that special. Championship. That's, that's what I'm saying. I do think it's the special, right? We're seeing. Uh, yeah, and I know they're trying to win their first state championship, and we'll see if they can do that this year. They they're going to have a lot of work to do uh, to get yeah. there, and it starts next week. But uh, we'll talk about that in a second. I do want to move on to three C Heritage. They beat Waynesboro forty-five to ten. Uh, and uh, that ends Waynesboro's season. But what a season it was. Uh, they started off hot. They're in the middle part of the season. I was like, oh, okay, they just beat two really bad teams, and that's what fooled me. But then they came on strong, won their last three ball games to get to 5-5, five and five, get in the playoffs. And, you know, I, I sent it to you in an email. Uh, I know you and I have talked about this on this podcast before, too. What Coach Jarvis has done in those two years has been nothing short of miraculous, in my opinion. I mean, that that is a program that has gone from no JV program, uh, not enough kids to play 10 games two years ago. You had to forfeit some because you just didn't have enough kids on the team. And now you salvage uh, a 2-5 and five point in the season to get to 5-5 five and five into the playoffs. And they bring back a lot. They bring back, they bring back excuse me, Jones, Barber, uh, those are the two that just jump out oh, immediately yeah. on offense. But Vest is good, and uh, I like Henderson on the line too, Leland. And I, I tell you, if Foster can take that step and be that primary target for Jones, uh, Waynesboro is going to be special next year. And I, you know, I, I said it to you uh, last week uh, on the phone, I think, but I would not be shocked if we're talking about Waynesboro being that team behind Riverheads and draft next year. Yeah, I think where we were talking about Waynesboro, or excuse me, Wilson in this preseason, when they did get that third spot last year, but coming into this season, we're talking Wilson or Gap. 
Waynesboro is in the middle of that conversation all preseason. Uh, you know, from the day this season ends until mm-hmm. next August, we're going to be expecting Waynesboro to be a part of that mix and those games with uh, with Gap and Wilson because those we expect those teams still to to be managed around there somewhere. Uh, that's that's going to be Waynesboro's time to prove it. And and as we saw this year, those games happen early. They it's going to be the same schedule next year, just. Home games are away and away games are home. So we're going to see that same order of games and they're going to have to be ready to go early in the district to kind of prove themselves at that spot. And they're, and they're still going to want to run through the Valley district. So I think I love who they have coming back. I love the progression they're on. Uh, There's just really nothing negative to say, you know, Friday wasn't what you wanted, uh, but you were very outnumbered. I thought they might battle better than that. They didn't. And it's hard to go on the road and you're, None of these guys have been there before. None of these guys know the expectation of, of winning. They're, they're creating that right there at Waynesboro. They're creating this program, uh, uh, you know, from, from the dead. And so it's absolutely um, – you, you, you learn from it. You take it because it is a learning lesson, but you know you move forward with so many pieces next year, all the guys you just ran through. Um, I mean, they, they lose those couple guys, Powell and Gamble and Spencer – very big pieces to the puzzle of their success this year, but this is the high school game. Everybody's going to lose those kind of guys. Uh, they got to be able to refill and keep going forward. And I don't know what evidence we have to make me say they wouldn't do well at that. Everything else Jarvis has done since he's been in charge has, has moved them in the right direction. So um, even, even the growing pains, even that gap game where they just didn't compete the way we thought they've moved better than that. And then we saw what they did against TA and Broadway. So I'm very optimistic. And and no disrespect to Powell, Gamble, and Spencer. Those are good players. But the bulk of their offensive production came from Barbara Jones. And it's not like, let's go ahead and move on. It's not like what Wilson's losing. Wilson's losing Noah Campbell and Skylar Whitting. And frankly, as far as I'm concerned, that that had to account for 80 to 90% of Wilson's offense without looking at hard numbers. The, the most dependable guys on your team on both sides of the ball. Yeah, gone. So Wilson is that team. I mean, you're talking about Waynesboro yeah. is getting in the conversation with Wilson and Gap. I think Wilson's That's out of that conversation. Drop out first. Yeah, yeah, I think Wilson's out of that conversation. I think right now it's a conversation with Waynesboro and Gap, and Wilson's going to have to kind of prove to me that they can have other guys step up there. I mean, I, I've i seen a little bit of Tyree. Uh, he got to play a little bit when Campbell was dinged yeah. up, and I like his speed. I just didn't see it consistently enough. Um Mundy is pretty good. He's but, a playmaker. Yep. But he seems to kind of be a boomer bust kind of back. Like yeah. he's going to get two yards or he's going to run for a 20 yard run. Uh, and unfortunately, it's not consistent enough. Pogorski's going to have, he is, I think, yes. the X factor. If Pogorski improves next year, then yes, Wilson can be in that conversation for third. If he doesn't take that big, and I mean big step up to where yep. he can be a legitimate passing threat for this offense and make defenses respect that, then I think Wilson is fifth. Well, they had the first team all district quarterback from last spring who was a senior and he was gone. And I came into the season saying, hey, Percorsi is going to have to be, you know, fill those shoes well for them to be as good as we expected to be. And I, I'm not trying to put it all in one player, but that was a piece of the puzzle of why Wilson didn't stay at the level that we thought they should be this year. And, um, you know, securing that third spot or securing a better playoff spot. It had to do with what happened at the quarterback position in some, in some big time games. And uh, even just the the confidence factor in some of those bigger games that 
they probably weren't going to win anyway, but that Riverheads game, it just was too many turnovers in the backfield for back there. So uh, I have faith that that kid's going to be able to play well. You know, he, he comes the bloodlines. He knows offense. He's been around the game. He's grown up in a football household. Um, he, he was a bit young this year. I, I think I think he can get better, and I'm given the optimism of that, uh, and that's why I keep him in that third conversation. But I agree with you. That's the, you know, hey, which, which one of those three teams that I wretched off, Waynesboro, Gap, and Wilson, which one are you throwing out? I mean, I would have to say Wilson right now, just like you're saying. Uh, so th- they're going to have to prove it to us early. They'll have their chances to prove it to us early next year, just like they did early this season. We said, see, they are pretty good when they're sitting there three, three and one. Throw a Stanton game in front of all that, and then that same schedule, they're going to have their opportunity to prove us uh, that they're that they're ready for that limelight again. Yeah, and we are talking about next year already because we should say, I mean, we didn't bring it up, but the LCA yeah, game did not go well for them. It was 56-7, to seven and... That was another one kind of as expected as far as I was concerned. Those two Lynchburg teams are really, really good. And uh, unfortunately, our teams go in at seven and eight and they just run into the buzzsaw there. Yep. So looking ahead at next week, we lose. uh, We had five local teams in the playoffs. We lose two of them, but two were off last week. So we have the same amount of games this week. Let's start at Stewart's Trap. That's where radio is planning to be Friday uh, against Clark County, which I think this is a heck of a matchup. Um, you know, obviously we're going to be partial to our, our home teams that we see all the time. And especially Stewart Strap, that's easy to be that way with when they've been to the last two state championships, but this Clark County defense is better than Stewart Strap's. They play comparable rushing, uh, offenses throughout the season as most of the district, maybe not the Riverheads team. They, they don't have that. They're nine and one. They've only given up six points a game. Uh, they're scoring the football two, scoring 30 points a game. Um, they have. Uh, this boy, uh, what was the player's name? Broy is Roy. their um, running back, but all does it all on the defense side of the ball. He was defensive player of the year up there in the bull run. They have Darlington, who was the offensive player of the year. That's their other running back. I mean, they have the two best players in the district on their football team out of the bull run. That is not a joke. I, I This is a heck of a little matchup right here. Yeah, this is, I think, I honestly think this is maybe a tougher matchup for them than, say, Central or Strasburg. Uh, and I, I say that because... This team beat Central, yeah. Yeah, I, I say that because of that, yeah. Uh, I And Clark County is a matchup problem for them, right? And Clark County had their stumbles this season. That Stewart's draft, frankly, outside of Riverheads, hasn't. Um, but I when you look at that defense, that's what worries me, if I'm a Stewart's draft fan. Right. The fact that Clark County's defense actually has given up fewer points than you uh, and is also that team's strong suit. And is, I, I think, as good as Stewart's draft's defense. Now, we'll find out Friday. But the question's going to be, can uh, Stewart's draft find a way to put up enough points? I, I You said 17-14 kind of game. I think that's right. Uh, I yeah. think, you know, if Graber can, you know, maybe step up, deliver a key and timely touchdown, whether that's throwing or running, I think if he can get one, and then I think Nice probably only gets one, maybe two. I, he's not going to be getting his usual three a game. I, that's You're just playing a tough team in Clark County. I do like Seward's draft to win this game, but I think sure. it's going to be close. I do too, and I think the way we saw Riverhead's defense really stop Seward's draft from getting to the outside, and that's something Loray wasn't able to do, uh, especially on the, on the left mm-hmm. side. To the left of Seward's draft's offense, um, they were able to get it. I, Clark County is not going to give that up all day. So I think – a lot of what um, Grizzlies able to do, Grizzlies able to do for you, is going to be limited, not gone, but just limited. Uh, so yeah, you're going to be hoping 
you're going to see two touchdowns out of Aaron Nice to make sure you get ahead kind of thing. And I think it's going to, it's going to be a tight ball game. I think in the second half, that's a tight ball game. Um, because I, I just have that much respect for Clark County. This isn't downing Stewart's draft. I just think Clark County's coming for a game and, and I think they're ready for the challenge. Yeah. And I, and I think, um, it's going to be field position is going to be critical and not making oh, yeah. turnovers. Hey, you can't have any goofy, which we've seen at times with, with Stewart's yeah. draft. That's another concern I have. Even in the games they win, there are plays and moments where you're watching Stewart's draft that you're like, I don't know what was supposed to happen that play, but maybe set that page of the playbook on fire. Um, and <laughs> you can't have that moment against around, Clark County. And it's usually centers around decision-making and also, I, and, and not just, I, it's just the aggressive play calling mm-hmm. that we see sometimes, or, you know, when they lost to Riverheads and every time that time, they're not kicking the field goal when they just probably yeah, should but have. Yeah, but I, I didn't, work I didn't and, mind that. Yeah, yeah but... The good thing is when they do decide to punt the football, they have Dennison, and, yeah, and he does a great good. job. It's interesting, though, Clark County, their kicker, first-team all-district kicker and punter. So, like, it's really just good. They're so similar in so many different ways. Um, you know, their running back isn't Aaron Nice. He doesn't have four years of experience being the man, but he's been sitting there ready to be the man for a while. So I think uh, I think we're going to see a very two very similar teams just butt their heads into each other here. I think the you're Cougars right. And the Eagles and hey, Cougar takes down an Eagle. So uh, that's, that's where I end up to. I hope um, Riverheads. They play William Campbell. I'm not, I know you're going to want to talk about this because you know, your Riverheads, the streak, the state championship streak and all that. I don't have much on this. William Campbell is coming. They're driving a long way to get their season ended. I mean, they're going to get, no, these, you think I have a lot to say here just because I copied notes over from our from our game notes. Well, and I know it's Riverheads. Talk you like talking about Riverheads and yeah, no, it's, remind it's everyone fine. where I... you went to school and all that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Bang on me for that. Yeah. So the big news out of Tuesday is that we have Riverheads going to move on into the region championship because William Campbell unable to play this week. COVID protocols keeping them away from being able to play this game. So it's going to go down as a forfeit. Riverheads won't have to play Friday. And that has them advancing. And they'll get to host the region championship game. We keep thinking that Buffalo Gap will have a good chance against Central Lindbergh. We'll talk about that here in a second. But it does mean Riverheads advances. There's goods and bads for this. You look at this where, yeah, those guys don't have to take hits this week. And they don't have to... Uh, actually play a football game and get worn down, but they didn't play last week. They already had that rest. So you do you might look at it as a negative or they might be rusty next week. So uh, it's yet to be seen. We'll see what happens. I would assume uh, that game will be hosted at Riverheads next Friday night. And uh, that's because most of their region championships in past years have been on that Friday night of Thanksgiving weekend. We're pulling for it to be Buffalo Gap, but we will have to see what we're able to get. Yeah, I don't think this game's going to be close. I think Central Lunenburg is going to get housed. Um, yeah. I, I kind of do, too. I would love for Buffalo Gap to throw the ball to Luke Tinsley some. I, I think that, they're going to have the opportunity this I week. I think that, he's just special. what I was saying. I would just say, you know what, Tinsley, go route, make sure you're inbounds, and Curtis Lowe, get the ball to him inbounds and let him score a touchdown. I mean, really, I just say take Tinsley, put him on your right, and then uh, move your running back that's supposed to be on your left side, just – pull them over to the right, have them over and see how they line up. And if they're not covering who they need, 
you're going to have Luke Tinsley to the end zone. I, I think that's going to happen. I think we're going to see Luke Tinsley, Tinsley for a long score or two in this football game. Uh, but but even without that, I just think Buffalo Gap's stronger and tougher, and they're just going to beat down Central Lumberg. Maybe they don't put 50 on them. Maybe they don't just run them out. I just think they control the clock and win a like 28 to seven ball game where it feels like it's more than 28, seven. That's, that's what I see coming from this. Cause I, I just think Buffalo gap can just get six yards of carry. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think they're going to handle central Lunenburg and central Lunenburg can take the long drive back with another loss, but let's now take a look and kind of branch out statewide here. Uh, recap in look ahead uh, class one, the big storylines, Leland, the number two yeah, team, region a, you yeah, know, number two Washington team, Elite. Washington Lee go down uh, against yeah. Northumberland. And then in region D, thank goodness, this was the best news. <laughs> well, second best news. I'll get to the best news from the state uh, in a second. But Chilawi losing to Grundy is the second best news because that just means at least I won't have to watch Chilawi come in there and then just hear a bunch of nonsense from Chilawi fans. It, when I hear nonsense from other fans, okay, they don't know what they're getting into. Chilawi fans know better at this point. They just yeah, haven't they, learned. They should. They should. Yeah, the message boards in Southwest Virginia definitely was, you know, thinking Chilawi and was going to have their shot and they're going to play Galax again. And yeah, it's not going to happen. So they're out. Uh, also, I, I put the note about Region A with WNL going down, the number two seed. It always happens in Region A. There's always a top seed going down every year. One of their best teams, the one that everybody thinks is good. This is their up year. This the year they're going to make a run they always lose in the first round of the playoffs. It's just amazing that region uh, one, one, a always produces just an overhyped football team. Surprise. Uh, class one, of, two. Uh, one of only two seven seats to win in the state this weekend. And, it, and I want to ask you, maybe you don't 1A. know, this is probably not a great question to ask you while we're recording. Um, did our friends at West point win? Our friends at West point did win. Wow. We didn't tell them alive. they were supposed to lose. So they didn't, they won. Wow. So alive. They were, uh, they were, a. Uh, low seed too they were a road team road victory i believe do they play northumberland oh man talk about region two and i'll come back with that (laughs) ask one too many questions i can't i can't memorize every bracket in the state what's wrong with you (laughs) it's in this podcast and get matt hatfield on uh class two uh region a Nottaway and King William, they both go through. Those are the favorites in that region. and They look tough. Those are the teams that Stewart's draft, if they win Region B, will most likely see. I don't see either one of them losing until they play yeah, each other. Both of, them, both of them put up big numbers in the first week against not terrible teams, and I, I, they just continue to look tough. I don't think just last week they looked tough. I think all season they've looked tough. And uh, it's been – yeah, they score points. And uh, even against decent defenses, they're scoring points. Appomattox and Radford will play in the Region C playoffs. That's a big game. I'm hoping Radford finds a way to win, but Appomattox obviously has the history on their side and very well coached team as well and a lot of talent. So yeah, that's this an is exciting usually a region. game in Class 2. That's probably the game of the week in Class 2, honestly. Um, yeah, this is a that region, or region final this type game. Clark County game. Yeah. yeah. Graham and Union, those are the one and two seeds in Region D. They both survive as well. Yeah, one of those two teams are going to play Appomattox is, is what it is. Uh, Graham looks really tough, uh, and it's easy to go to them because they have a lot of big names associated with their team. But Union is sitting right there. So uh, that's going to be a showdown in that region final that we predict. I think we said that last week. We predict that. Jumping back to Class 1, we have West Point's going to play Essex this week mm-hmm. and Keenan Queen Central playing Northumberland. Well, 
see if our friends from West Point can knock fin- off Essex. I'm not telling them. Nagle their way to a trip. If to you Riverheads. guys are listening, I hope they re- do. This is Region A. I'm not predicted Region A because you just don't know what'll happen. I, if they come what? out of there with a five seed playing a seven seed in the Region Championship, won't surprise me. I usually don't hope for rematches when Riverheads <laughs> plays, but I hope they do. I want them to have to drive all the way up here and then drive all the way back after a blowout. And they can feel like they wasted their Saturday, um, like we did last year. Uh, class three, Region A. Uh, class three will have a new champion because Lake Taylor, Audi 5000, they lost in the first round. Uh, and no, Phoenix. it's Lafayette. Sorry, that's a typo. Lafayette was the champion. They lost. Oh, so did Lake Taylor, who was coming down from class four. Yeah. Both powers, even though Lake Taylor didn't have as good of a season, we talked about that last week, but both of those teams that kind of stand out to you, the defending champ and Lake Taylor, both out after the first weekend. Phoebus and Hopewell will play. Phoebus, got to like them there, um, but Hopewell's no slouch. Lord Botetot. Yeah, that's, a monster, that's another monster matchup in the, in the second round here. Lord Botetot. They found a way to win. They now play the one seed in Region D, Christiansburg. I do think that's probably where Lord Botetot's run ends, but for Lord Botetot, it is a big win in the first round on the road to get to Christiansburg. Yeah, and that, I think that you know Lord Botetot didn't have the regular season that a lot of people predicted there, and, and since Riverhead's played them, that's, that's kind of why we're talking about them right here is just kind of you know catching up with them here later in the season. Uh, I think that win this weekend kind of showed – that they, they do have that capability of winning a game like that. Now, they haven't played Christiansburg uh, this year. The last time they played them was just last spring when they beat them 55 to nothing. Obviously, Christiansburg much improved from what they were last spring. Uh, but still, I think for a, you know, a 5-1 matchup, uh, that, that plays a lot more like a 2-3 matchup. I think that mm-hmm. is a closer contest uh, than, than you would necessarily look at, you know, Lord Botsock coming off an upset win per the bracket playing the one seed. Uh, looking at class four, now you said you thought I said it, I predicted it, and then Hatfield agreed. Uh, whether it was me or Hatfield, it doesn't matter because all that matters is Hanley lost, and that's the best part. That was the best <laughs> news around the state. Hanley lost. I bet they found a way to hide that Hanley pride when they were getting their tail kicked in uh, as the Dulles District swept the Northwestern District in Region C. Uh, Kettle Run and Hanley lost. Sharando surprise, uh, they lost, and so did James Wood. Uh, but the Dulles District is a very tough district. They all won, and now they'll beat each other again in the second round there. Region D, wow. Um, they're Western Albemarle, they get ready to play George Washington, and then you also have Louisa and Salem uh, awaiting them. Uh, that's, that's brutal. Funny. I didn't realize what Western Albemarle went to. Like, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, Western Albemarle. Like we said, uh, with the Buffalo Gap going down to Class 1, thinking, oh, huh, man, I wish we could have stayed in Class 2. Um, yeah. Western Albemarle has got to be thinking, man, is there a way we can get Let's, to be Class 3? Like, Yeah, can we redistrict real quick? Can we gerrymander? Yeah, yeah. can we move Albemarle <laughs> up? Yeah. Um, make them a bigger, even bigger school. Um, but, yeah, because uh, – if they get past George Washington, if uh, I don't see them beating Louisa or Salem, I think it'll be I mean, Salem look at that they that see. Matchup. Yeah, I think it'll be Salem that they see, but I don't see them. Who, no matter who that is, I don't see Western Albemarle 
getting out of that region, I guess is what I'm saying. Cause I think the winner of that Salem Louisa game wins. Each classification has like at least one, if not two, just matchups that really are standing out to me for region semifinals. And, and I'm not saying I never see, you know, matchups in these region semifinals that are like, Oh, that's a good one. But every classification having at least one. Uh, and then some of them have it too. I, it's just, this year is just bottled up here. I, I think it, we're going to see some really good games this week uh, on, on the scores coming in. And I think we're gonna see a lot of 23, 24 ball games out there. In class five, the big news out of that classification is in region D where Patrick Henry, the seven seed took down the two seed Massaponics. So that is a high seed out. But then in class six, it was pretty much chalk ones and twos still alive in every single region. Yeah, class class six was the less dramatic of, of all these regions. Uh, all the ones and twos went. Um, I, I give. I mean, class five was pretty by the books otherwise. Uh, but yeah, that was the only other seven seed to win. No eight seeds won this weekend. Um, you know, some of those ones that do the districts where it's four and four kind of start playing with some of the numbers there. But no true uh, eight seeds won. So uh, two seven seeds: Patrick Henry in Region Five D, and then Northumberland in Class One A. Um, so that those those stood out as the biggest upsets. No, no Waynesboro 16 seats taken off in Valley number one uh, this this year. Yeah, well, you'll have that. Can't win them all. All right, let's move to volleyball. We have exciting news that the Riverheads Gladiators on Tuesday night were able to advance to that state final. They were able to knock off Rappahannock in a five game absolute, you know, Tense match there, five sets. Riverheads had only played five sets one time the season before when they had lost to Wilson back in September. Uh, they they get to that point again where they needed, they had to force the fifth set. They uh, they won the even sets, but then they did get that number five there to f- and and to get them to advance. And then we also know Auburn advanced. They beat Chilawi, uh, so the prediction of Chilawi maybe being there and and not thinking they're going to be there that. That's out of it. It is Auburn. Auburn's really good. They were sweeping Chill Howie out of there. So this sets up a rematch. It sets up what we saw last spring. Chill, and it's going to have Auburn and Riverheads in that state final. It's going to be noon in Salem on Saturday. All the Riverheads fans will be anxious for that on Saturday because the uh, football team not able to play on Friday night uh, as they advance, as we talked about. But this will have volleyball in the state final again, which is exciting stuff. So, uh, that's great for uh, the Riverheads Gladiators, and uh, it was a big win, a big fifth set win. Congratulations, Riverheads, on that, and, and congratulations to Port Defiance. They got to the state playoffs. That's that hump they haven't been able to get to, and they finally got past Rockbridge. Uh, they didn't, weren't able to win the region, and then they did fall in the opener to the state playoffs, but they made it there, and, that, and I think that gives that program that positivity moving forward that, hey, we can do this. You know, we, we've had these great players here that didn't make it, and now we've had great players here, and we have done it. So let's do it again. And sure, they're losing great seniors like Goggin. Uh, she's been a heck of a killer all season. But they have a lot of contributors on that team that are underclassmen that will be moving up, uh, you know, that will be there and, and stay in there. So I, I think we're going to see Riverheads and Fort Defiance uh, playing deep again next year. And, and I think Fort Defiance can use that, that bar that's been raised now. Yeah, and, you know, a loss to Hidden Valley is nothing to be ashamed no. of. I mean, that's a team Region that champion. very well could be yeah. winning the state championship. That's a very, very good volleyball school in Hidden Valley. Cross country. We had uh, the state meets last Saturday, and uh, we had some some individuals do well. We had a couple teams participating, uh, but none of them able to bring home the hardware. 
Uh, I had limited it. I told them they wouldn't, and uh, they did listen, unlike uh, Stuart Straff last spring in the track. Wow. Uh, the cross-country teams did listen. I'm sorry they did listen. I, I, I said it before I realized they what I was saying. just didn't use it as I motivation, was, yeah. I was glad the uh, individuals were still able to do well. Uh, the, uh, for the Fort girls, that team did compete. They finished sixth in the state, which is absolutely great. And, and I say they didn't bring home the hardware. That's still an, a heck of an accomplishment. Um, to finish sixth in the state. Riverheads did that as well in class one. So two girls teams from the local area um, finishing higher up there for the teams. Abby Lane for Fort Defiance. She finished 14th. That gets her all-state honors. Emma Staley finishes one out of uh, all-state there, finished 16th. Uh, but that whole team performed well, uh, well enough to get them sixth. The boys, the highlight runner for them all year, Ramsey Corbin finished third. Obviously, all state. He was the highest finisher from any of our local teams at that state meet, and it's because he's, you know, the third best runner in the state. I believe that wholeheartedly, and so uh, a great run for him, and and he was really pleased with that. Happy to see that uh, the Waynesboro boys had Adam Groves finish twenty fifth individually. Um, so a lot of good finishers up there. Stuart Straff sent that one runner uh, to regions, who then qualified for states, and then he, he finishes nineteenth in states. That's Lorenzo Callow. So great job for him. And then, like I said, the Riverheads girls, Summer Wallace, she was the, the leading runner there, finishing 23rd to help that team get that sixth-place finish uh, for the teams there on the girls' side. Uh, also, the Gap girls had Olivia Covesi. She ran, and she ran well, so that was good to see. Gap boys, they ran as a team. Uh, didn't have as great a day there, but they did have Ben Cromer finish 29th. Riverheads, their individual guys, uh, Jackson Bramer in 23rd, Levi Byer also ran. So just great runners. We don't talk about cross country enough because we just don't follow it as close as we do the football. We're not calling on the right as radio, but I mean, these, I mean, they, they play a sport that I wouldn't want to play because I, th I think it's, it's so much mental aspect to that, uh, to running cross country and battling your brain as much as uh, battling the, the physical of it. And I completely am jealous that these, all of these names I just said, and all the teammates that ran that I didn't say, uh, that they're able to do that. It's, it's something I could never do. I played three sports in high school and, uh, you know, thought well enough about myself. I never could run cross. I don't, I don't have the, the mental, mental ability to get through something like that. Uh, what was it that, uh, Kenny powers on eastbound and down said, uh, he's not trying to be the best at exercising. I kind of feel the same way. Cross country just feels too much like exercise. Uh, I'm out. Good. I mean, it, no, but that's such a high level there. Like when you're competing. Oh yeah. 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 Cross country. So Absolute so, credit to so him. I, yeah. I'm saying I don't want, I want nothing to do with that. Yeah, I know. I, I would fail. Like I, I like winning and I would not win at that. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. sports are so, either. Yeah. I'm good at sports or they're, I quit because they're rigged. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's why we're on headsets right now. Yep. And these kids are running circles. So uh, congratulations to all those runners there uh battling through it all i know that region meet uh at wilson for 3c was in the pouring rain i was you know pretending to work that day on the on the campus at the wilson complex uh in that pouring rain they, they're out there running miles so uh, i commend them for that and uh, i know it was chilly on saturday so just good job for all them and i wanted to say their names because they uh they deserve the call out here uh, but let's move on to uh, up a level and go to some college sports. We're going to talk about basketball first. We're going to have um, Mike Barber from the Richmond Times-Dispatch on in our B block. But real quickly here, Virginia started up the season the way you want. I mean, they, they haven't played great teams, but they've won all three of their games. They beat Maine, they beat Navy, they beat Radford. And, and that's a great sign. And that's, you know, two of those teams UVA played this week. 
and and they didn't win both their games. So yeah. uh, you can't ask more out of what Mike Young has done with these Hokies so far this year. They're beating them like they're supposed to, beating them by 35, 20, and 26. Hey, that's what you're supposed to do when you're a good team. So, so far, all indications, Tech's a good team. Yeah. Um, Virginia Tech. I think you stopped at Virginia there the first time you went through there, which. That's weird. That's big that's really sin. Weird for me. But, um, yeah. <laughs> and, and really, the upcoming schedule isn't isn't tough either. It's I, you have on your Thanksgiving week. And then week. it gets real. Yeah. yeah, you have Thanksgiving week, and that's and you're exactly right. It's Memphis, Xavier, or Iowa State. Either one of those is going to be tough. Yeah. Maryland, and then you get into conference play with Wake Forest, which I'm not. I don't consider no. that a big game, but but it's an ACC game. It's that's an ACC you know game those you those are must. Right. You got to win. You know the early seasons for that slip. Up, I think like, Wake Forest is one of the teams that the committee said if you lose, you're automatically out, whether you win the conference or not. <laughs> so you can't lose. Yeah. Wake. November, early December, you have those games where if you lose them, it's not going to kill you. It's the right. growing pains, and UVA had that against Navy. Um, and Wake Forest, though, that's a conference game. You you can't. You, that's it's time to go. So that's why I listed that as an important game. But, yeah, this week, Virginia Tech has more of the same with St. Francis and Merrimack. Uh, they play Thursday and Sunday uh, from after this podcast loads. So uh, that's to look forward to there. Uh, UVA, they have uh, Houston, which is a big game on Tuesday night, about the time this is going to be coming out. And then they have Coppin State and Georgia, and Georgia's a Power 5 matchup. So. Mm-hmm. They're going to get, uh, you know, a little more tested this week where Virginia Tech's going to wait a week uh, and then do it around Thanksgiving and, and really turn it up. Well, I'm going to go ahead and invade this with some mid-major talk um, and some women's talk. Kenny Brooks got the girls playing well at Tech. They're ranked 25 oh, yeah. right now. They did drop a spot to 25. They were 24. Um, mm. Not really sure with what, given the two games they played, deserve Must to have drop been an from upset a spot. That but, propelled a team. Um, yeah, Texas shot up. 13 out from outside the top 25, I think 13 spots. Yeah. So, so there it is. Everybody else just dropped down one. Cause I guess they didn't watch women's basketball. I don't know, but um, the JMU ladies, I saw them this weekend. Uh, they did not look great against Maryland. Uh, that was just Maryland being the number four team in the country and not really missing shots and JMU kind of not on that level. So JMU, uh, did not do well that game, but they did beat UVA in their season opener, which was a big win for them. And honestly, I think for for JMU, it's going to come down to, because they don't get the automatic bid, their work's cut out for them. I think to get in that large bid, like people are talking about with men's and women's basketball, you got to be real. Um, and this is where uh, I will tone it down. JMU, <laughs> the fan base has... All fan, all each fan base, and you're going to hear Barber say this when we talk to him, has quote unquote fanatics because that's what it's short for. JMU has a, I would say, larger portion of their fan base compared to some of the other fan bases that I interact with or am a part of that have cult like tendencies, we'll call it. Um, and they think, you know, they're looking at, oh, well, how does this team get in at large bid? Has this team get in at large bid? Hey, men's soccer didn't get in at large bid in the soccer tournament. Basketball is not getting at large bid in either sport because they're not going to run the table in the CAA, and that's what they'd have to do. They're not going to do that. So they're done. Um, and I know Plus, JMU... You're going to depend on NCAA voters and, and, and yeah. bracket makers to depend on making it right. Like, even if they go undefeated, you're then going to depend on somebody that puts these brackets together 
to make things or, oh, well, they didn't let them in the conference tournament, so we have to make – this is the same, <laughs> the same entity that's going to keep Cincinnati out of this thing, whatever it takes for football. So, yeah. It's just you're not good. You're, just you're stop. These next, you're, you're being out this year. Yeah, you're, you're being. Out. You sound dumb. Have, you sound like a stupid person when you say that. But just know you're going to a conference that's going to give you a better chance to have multiple mm-hmm. bids in basically every sport we just said. And I know soccer doesn't exist right now over there. But when you're bringing in a national championship quality team, you're bringing in a JM team that does compete and and has made the tournament many times. Like they're gonna quickly, maybe not year one, but like in five years, you're gonna have multiple bids out of that conference. Yep. So just you—it's all the future. Stop worrying about the now, JMU fans. Stop worrying about every little thing right now. It stinks for these kids right now, but outside of that, everything's gonna be so good later. Just you're gonna—it just takes some sacrifice. Every program that's done this kind of jump, move conferences, has had some kind of sacrifice. Maybe it's not conference championship you know, barring and keeping you out of it. But, but it's some, it's some, some of JMU's of peers that have had to go through that. And I guess this is the second week in a row I'll say it. it JMU has supported this rule every yeah. single time it's been up until now. So spare right. me with the, well, we care about our kids and we care about student athletes and blah, blah, blah. You care about them because they're wearing a JMU. Just be honest. Just be honest about it. You care about it because it's JMU and JMU's being affected. That's the only reason you care about it. You don't care about student athletes more than the CAA or the CAA commissioner. You only care and about two, it right now because it's JMU affiliated. In two years, you won't care. And in four years, when another CAA member leaves and they have to sit out because of that, you're going to say, well, we had to do it. I don't care. They'll, no, they'll care. tweet one time being like, yeah, that's uh, why the CAA stinks. No, and then good. they'll never. They're the ones that kept us out. Why should we oh, feel well, bad for that? You know what? That's you're exactly probably right. what's going to happen. You're probably right. Yeah. Cult-like tendencies. I forgot. Um, but the other thing is I so don't care. They beat Caro by 95 or whatever. I don't even know where Caro is, and I guarantee you not a single person at the Atlantic Union Bank Center could point to the state that Caro is in. None of them. If I, if I gave them a map of the United States and said, point to the state where Caro is located, zero people would get that. I don't even think the people at Caro would have pointed it out because I don't even think they know where they go. I, I honestly never heard of that place, never care to hear from them again. They lost by 95 I just Googled it and failed. They lost, yeah, I mean, they lost by a truckload to JMU, and they're like, oh, my gosh, they won by 95. They won by, okay, I I don't care. That's not a real basketball team. They beat ODU. That's your real win. That's the win you point to. That's the win that matters to me if I'm a JMU fan. But what did we see? We saw them go from like 130 or whatever they scored against Cairo to 56. So, yeah, uh, temper the results. You're going to get smoked by UVA when you play them. Just get ready for that. And just know you're not going to run the table in the CAA. And and you're not going to get in at large bid. Just, just know that now. Just know it now. So I don't have to, when March comes around, I don't have to see my timeline filled with a bunch of Stupid tweets like, I can't believe we got locked out because of the CAA. That's, that's a good impression. Uh, they're in Pennsylvania. Google file. I had to do it a different way. It's a, I, a simple Google search didn't give me what I needed. Uh, so, yeah. Amazing. Pennsylvania. But, uh, the other thing I looked up before your rant, though, to be fair, they didn't look great. The women's team didn't look great against Maryland, who is number three in the nation. I, I did say they beat UVA already. So if that's I will what you're ac- say. I'll accept them not looking great against Maryland. I said they were 
they were number four at the time, so they moved up a spot. But yeah. Okay, I might have missed you saying that. Yep. <laughs> I did say, yeah, they're just not on the same level as Maryland, and that's fine. You're not, you're not yeah. a top five team in women's basketball. Yeah, not, and being in the Sunbelt probably shoot you up there either. No, I mean, not surprising. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even in the Kenny Brooks days, <laughs> yeah, even in the Kenny Brooks days, they weren't hanging with the number no. five team in the country. So no. that's just, you know, you kind of need to know what you are. But Joe, VCU how, was women's, call it, how was calling your VCU women's? Talk about VCU women's. Yes, I wanted to get to them and round out the conversation with them. Uh, VCU women's uh, started off the season with a loss. That game did not start off the best way. Um, they dug themselves in a bit of a hole. We're down 22 at the half. And then the first possession of the second half, Middle Tennessee State hits a three to go up 25. But then VCU played an entirely different game and really fought back. They got it within five at one point, ended up losing the game by eight. So... From my seat and how I left that night was, okay, obviously you'd love to have won that game against Middle Tennessee State. That's a very good opponent to open up the season with. And it's at home. You you want to win the home opener. But I came away with that thinking, VCU still has everything in front of them, all their goals to accomplish, you know, wanting to win the A-10, wanting to get back to the tournament, wanting to have a successful season. That's all still in front of them and all still very realistic because if – VCU wasn't going to be a good team when they were down 25 to middle Tennessee state, who I think is a team that maybe will make the tournament this year again. Um, you would have gotten housed. You just gotten blown off the floor, but that didn't happen. They, they fought back. They played North Carolina central on Wednesday. I imagine that game goes pretty smoothly for VCU. We'll see. And then the big game is the rivalry game against ODU on Sunday. That's another big test. It's another conference USA opponent. And ODU is another team that is expected to have a pretty good season in women's basketball again. So for VCU, you kind of need to take care of business against North Carolina Central, get some stuff figured out that maybe didn't go right in the middle Tennessee State game, work some stuff out, and then get ready for ODU because that's another big game. It's a rivalry game. And will you and Matt Hatfield like physically fist fight on press row for that game? Matt Hatfield will be in Myrtle Beach, so no. Oh, well, man, but that's I the only reason. He yeah. He's going with the men's team down there, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the only reason. Yeah is because he won't ah, yeah. I wanted to see the fist fight. How, <laughs> so just for, for me and, and the people that care about you personally, I, I know they didn't win the other night. How, how was the broadcast? How, how did you enjoy that process? How was it stepping up from, from ESPN 1240? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, I had a lot of fun. Uh, it was a lot of fun for me. I'm glad VCU's brought me on, and um, it was great to be back at the Siegel Center and working with Demetrius yeah. again, and that was fun, and um, I'm looking forward Man, to the whole season with it. Man, that's Eagle Center, though, man. That's that's so jealous that you're sitting in there on Friday night when I was freezing out in high school football. But yeah, remember those nights, man, covering Stanton basketball when it, back-to-back state championship runs and they win in the one. And then, oh, that, that year, though, when they had Mac and, and Patrick Ewens over on the other side and the place was packed. And I mean, that was the marquee game. That was mm-hmm. the night game. Place was packed. People are standing. All the, you know, all the Patrick Ewan type of people that, you know, I just walk in the building because I'm Patrick Ewan. I'm going to stand where I want. There was more popular people that we didn't even pick up on in that area. I mean, it was packed. All coming to watch Stanton play basketball against Mac McClellan. That was, man. That building can. That that's just sweet that you get to call so many games there this year. Yeah, I'm excited about it. And again, I think VCU. Again, I know the opener didn't go the way they wanted, but I still think yeah. VCU women's team is going to be very good. I'm very interested to see how they stack right. up with the other A10 opponents when they get there. But such a pro, not making it about him. I, I love it. I love it. You're just a, you're just ready. 
NCAA football. We're going to talk about the Hokies here in a minute. This is a sub in here as uh, you've already are aware that we've had to readdress some of the show here with all the news that broke on Tuesday. We'll talk about the Hokies. We're going to have um, some some barber talk and then we're going to come back in a C block and talk about the Hokies and the only thing that matters with the Hokies talk right right now. So we'll be back uh, with, with that Hokie football talk where we normally do it right here. We're going to do it later. UVA did play Notre Dame. They got rocked because they didn't have their starting quarterback mainly. They're still going to lose that football game to a better Notre Dame team. I, I'm not some huge believer in Notre Dame. At this point, I want them to win just so Cincinnati stays ahead of them. So if they keep voting Notre Dame up, they're going to have to keep Cincinnati in front of them. You well, think? you say that, we'll but they put out. Michigan ahead of Michigan um, State. Yeah. But that UVA wasn't going to win that football game, I think, even at full strength. So I'm not that torn up if I were in their place. Uh, they have pit this week. It all comes down to this. This is the reason you leave Brennan Armstrong out last week. You make sure you're ready for this ACC football game. Now, maybe it's my fandom against UVA. Maybe it's what I've seen on the field. I think Pitt puts up a lot of points this week, and I just don't see UVA being able to outscore them. I think Pitt's going to score at will because they've done that against teams with better defenses. Uh, and so I think Pitt takes it, but – it sets up for a big-time game. It's a 3.30 ESPN2 game, and it's going to get a lot of attention this weekend because the winner then controls their destiny the next week of will they play in the ACC championship or not. Yeah. Uh, I think... I think picking... It an, the hype. I not, think pit, picking ACC games is a good way to be wrong. Um, <laughs> this, nothing point. about this conference makes sense. Yeah. And so I I don't disagree with your logic. That being said, if Pat Narduzzi finds a way to lose, would not shock me. Um, I'm not going to argue with that point. <laughs> so he's going to look real mad and confused on the sideline. I huh? just wish UVA would do something. <laughs> I would like Virginia Tech. I think Virginia Tech should go back to their you know classic uniforms. I think UVA should go back to their classic uniforms. I hate their uniforms now. Every time I watch them. I, in addition to just not liking them because they're UVA. Yeah, um, nothing they wear is I'm going to like, so I don't I care. That navy blue, though, with the solid navy blue helmet, like, there was nothing wrong with that. That looked sharp to me. Um, what they have now with, like, the, the V on one side and the numbers on the other and weird stripes and their uniform looks exactly like Virginia Tech's just UVA colors for a school that hates Virginia Tech. They sure try to copy everything we do. So just go back to the classic look. That was your best look. This look is hideous. Um, It's ugly. It's worse than your defense, in my opinion. And I would burn it to the, I would burn all of them, um, all those jerseys. So just go back to the classic look. Virginia Tech do the same. Um, JMU, they beat William and Mary. Uh, they're number two. I didn't realize they were back up to number two. Yeah, but I still still saw the argument against them getting a top four seed. Like last year when they were sitting up there and didn't get a top four seed, uh, I saw the argument against them this year. Um, I don't know. I guess I just don't know. I guess who I just don't put care. Part of them. I, yeah, I, put them one. Put them twenty four. I don't care. I so don't care. It would be funny to just put them at the 24. It'd be funny for them to win the darn thing, but that's fine. All right. Looking back, uh, which one of these games is worth talking about? Michigan beat Penn State. Oh, that was so gross. The Wake game was 
fun. It yes, was it just was. fun to watch. Mm-hmm. It was really fun to watch. Uh, Oklahoma beat Baylor. You like that because that gets Oklahoma completely out. They were already sitting behind Cincinnati, but that keeps them from passing them magically. Um, and it just proves that what we've been saying, Oklahoma's not very good. Yep. Texas A&M, Ole Miss. That was a, actually a fun game for not being as high scoring as you were hoping it would be. It still was pretty fun to watch. Uh, Ole Miss uh, won that one, kind of got up and, and scored. There was a lot of interesting plays, a lot of big plays in that game. I hated it. I needed Texas A&M to win. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not rooting for Jimbo. For rooting so interest, I and I would rather see Texas A&M fight. I was hoping Alabama would either lose to Arkansas. I'm hoping they still do lose to Arkansas or Auburn although Auburn didn't look great this week um, in their big blown lead against Mississippi State. But uh, I was hoping Alabama would lose one of those two games and Texas A&M would win the SEC West and just knock Alabama out of the SEC championship altogether. Because honestly, if their name wasn't Alabama and you put Alabama's resume up against Cincinnati, she would pick Cincinnati's. Yeah, they're not number two. That's that's. They're, it's very They're not good. They barely beat Florida. Florida sucks. Florida, Florida is bad. Florida, Florida is bad. Florida and Nebraska both did their retain their head coach one more year process. Ooh, let me tell you, Frost, that's not a good Frost fired all his buddies, and so they're going to keep him one year. He's gone after next year. Mm-hmm. It, Florida, they just gave uh, Mullen a big extension over the summer where he's like the third highest SEC coach. Oops. And so, yeah, they're going to do whatever they can to keep him. And so they fired their defensive staff and um, included a former Hokie there. Yeah, it's it's not good in Florida. Yeah, they're not good. Um, and, and, and they don't get guys. Their guys don't finish the season. Last year, before the bowl game, everybody bolted. This year, they already got people bolting. It's just not a good football team. I, I'm sorry. Uh, they barely beat LSU. LSU's not good. They barely beat Florida. Florida's not good. Uh, why? Why? Who is Alabama beat? That's good. No, no one. I'm not arguing. Did Ole you Miss? argue Alabama? I didn't. I'm not arguing. Maybe Alabama. they're gonna. Have a, they're gonna have an opportunity to. That, that's all they get. They're gonna get Georgia. Georgia here's the they're thing. Gonna have their chance. Georgia is gonna absolutely I drag so. them. They're gonna. I hope so. Drag them in Atlanta. It's just sad though. Most of these years with Georgia, I've, I've either acknowledged saying it or have said it. Like this is the Georgia's time to get over that, and they, and this year is the one year I didn't bring it up, and this is the year that the best the figures. They're really good. The um, uh, spo- your spoiler makers didn't make it happen against Ohio State. Never, never had a chance. They're dead to me. <laughs> so this week we got some good ones. We got Michigan State, Ohio State, noon on ABC. Who you got? Who you put money on? <laughs> That's not on Fox. I thought it was on Ohio. I, uh, maybe I misread. It's at noon. I would think because the big noon kickoff usually fi- features Big Ten teams. That's why I ask. Um, I, I, I'm not I saying you're definitely wrong, but copy this straight from the internet. But uh, yeah, I'm not saying I you're definitely wrong. wrong. It's just if it's not the big noon kickoff, I would be. Um, that's a little surprising to me. Um, it's a noon kickoff either way. Sure. Um, um, it's going to be Ohio it. State that wins, but I hope Michigan State finds a way to upset them. You got a line on that yet? What are you What are you betting here? I don't worry about that yet. <laughs> I might not. Right. I might not. <laughs> College football has not been kind to me the last two weeks. I what's, might just stick. What's to the hockey. next big game there? You got Wake Forest, Clemson at noon. I suppose that's a big game. I imagine Wake Forest wins that game. 
everybody just keeps waiting for Clemson to wake up. I think that's why you, you what I get my big games from would list it as a big game. Uh, but yeah, it's it, Wake Forest has been better. They score points, and that's Clemson's problem this year is scoring points. So you, you'd think Wake would take it, but it's you know it's big pants time for Wake. I mean, they're going to be playing against a good defense. Sam Hartman's really good. So they're going to have to do it. Is really, really good though. Um, that Ohio State game is on ABC. The Fox noon kickoff is Iowa State Oklahoma. Mm. Okay. I'm just telling you what it is. I'm just saying it's an interesting game. I think game day is rolling into that, too. So I think Kirk's on that Ohio State game, and I think they have game day there before it. Montana was really pushing for game day to come, uh, FCS, and uh, they, they didn't choose that. They chose the top 10 battle between the Big Ten teams instead. Yeah, shocker. shocker. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because the winner probably goes to the college football playoffs. Stunner that they didn't pick Montana instead. Yep. Who knew? Because their SMU didn't go to Montana in college. It's a big, big difference there. <laughs> yeah. That's not the first time someone said no to Montana. Um, SMU, number five, Cincinnati. That's a big game for Cincinnati. And the fact that it's one of big. their better opponents left. But SMU has been sliding. And I know this yeah. because I saw SMU lose a game and I was like, ah, that's just <laughs> that's just America, the American conference. SMU will write the ship and they'll still be in the top 25. Uh, and then they lose the next one, and I was like, ah, SMU might actually not be very good. Um, so that stinks for them. Cincinnati will, I imagine, win that game. <sighs> I'm not going to lie, Leland. There's a tiny part of me that now fears Cincinnati's going to lose somewhere yeah. along the Do way. Do it to themselves. Yeah. And get rid of the argument. I want them to win out. I want them to win out because I don't believe these teams ahead of them are all going to win. In fact... Number three, Oregon, I think, loses this weekend. That's why I have Utah. it here. That's why I have it here. I think Utah beats Utah. them. I do, too. I mean, Utah beat Stanford. Of course, so did everybody else in the Pac-12. But <laughs> not, not Oregon. Yeah, that loss doesn't – That losses don't matter if you're a Power 5 team and the undefeated <laughs> team is from the G5. Then they don't matter. But um, – I think – I, my thing is, I'm just rooting for these teams. Like, like Oklahoma losing, I'm like, good, get out of the way. I, I assume Alabama's going to lose. Like, suit, that's one more that might might get out of the way. Uh, Oregon, if they lose two, they're out of the way. Like, I'm I want Cincinnati to at least have their shot. Then they might get trounced. I don't know, but I just want them to be in there because I'm I'm just tired. I didn't like it last year when you said it will never happen. They will never put a team like Cincinnati in. It will never, ever happen. Like, you're so adamant. And I was like, I mean, you can't say never. So, like, this is the first year possible for it not to happen. I am rooting for you to be wrong. Like, like usual, I'm rooting for you. Because to be if wrong. Cincinnati goes undefeated and they still don't put them in, I'm right. Yeah. I'm right. Oh, yeah. I don't really argue with the logic of what you're saying, but the how adamant you are that it is impossible for it to ever happen. I just... I would love it if the next season. It's why, it's why though, <laughs> I get so angry when you say, I don't want the college football playoff expanded because I want the regular season to matter. The regular season doesn't matter now. If Alabama's number two, the regular season doesn't matter. If Michigan can lose to Michigan State and then be ranked ahead of them, it doesn't matter. It's about brand name. It's about what they want in. And if that's the case, don't even go back to the BCS. I prefer the BCS to what we have now, which is a room full of human beings that are taking biases in to that playoff selection committee. 
what was it like Houston a couple years ago? It was not a couple years ago. It's been a bit now, but like wasn't Houston like undefeated like championship weekend and they lost and they would have been in like a big time bowl game. It might have been before the college football yes, playoff. Yes, and uh, that's what I'm afraid of Cincinnati. I'm afraid they. Get I think it the, was they were the, in conference USA at the time and Southern Miss yeah. beat them because I remember them asking Southern Miss's coach like, "Do you feel bad about costing the conference a bunch of money?" And he said, "No." Yeah. <laughs> Which I no. thought was a yeah. really unfair question. I was like, yeah. do you feel bad for winning? <laughs> like, yeah. no. no, I don't. I'm here to win. Yeah. I yeah, I'm afraid that's what I've been afraid for Cincinnati is that they get to that conference championship game in like eleventh hour is is when they have their bad night. All right, quickly, NFL. Uh the Ravens, they lost on Thursday. The Steelers on Sunday couldn't take advantage of that Ravens loss. The Ravens have dropped a couple recently. Uh, the Steelers tie the lines. I have nothing positive to say about the game. As soon as Ben's out, I said, okay, well, they're going to lose the lines. There's the lines win. But I think it's even more embarrassing to tie the lines. Like if you just lose to the lines, you're like, okay, our quarterback was out and this and this, and we all move on. But now this tie, every time you see the Steelers record for the rest of the year, you're going to look at, oh yeah, that was that tie. You're equal to the lines. You know, that's, that's how that's going to be viewed now. I think the tie is actually worse for public perception than a loss would have been. That and every time this happens, someone on the team outs themselves as like, oh, I didn't know there were ties in the NFL. This week it was Najee Harris. And <laughs> the Donovan McNabb of them, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one, I don't think there should be ties in the NFL. I think that's ridiculous. And two... I think if you tie, you should be kicked out of the playoffs. I think that should be a rule <laughs> that would incentivize teams trying to get that killer instinct to go win. Um, I don't like tying. And so I think I think there should be a punishment for tying. I think both teams should just get hit with a loss. I'd rather that happen. I don't like ties. I hate ties. I, I, I don't like ties. It, it wasn't good. Why? Do you have anything? Do you have any issues with your Ravens losing these last couple? It's not great. We haven't we haven't looked great recently. Um, yeah, the loss to the Bengals, barely beat the Vikings, lose to the Dolphins, uh, the Lions. We barely beat the Lions. Um, needed a record-breaking field goal to do it. Um, I would be a little concerned, but we're still one of the better teams in the AFC. You are. Um, and, and who, who looks that great? Yeah. I, that's what NFL, I come back to. I'm like great. any given week, you know, who knows? And I like yeah. with, with what our offense is capable of doing. I like that better than most. So we just have to put it all together and stay healthy. Really comes down I to do, Lamar Jackson. If Lamar Jackson stays healthy, we'll be fine. If he doesn't, uh Oh, but you got, you got the bears this week. I think that's winnable for you guys to get back on your feet. Yeah. We got the chargers on Sunday night football. I looked it's ahead. Exactly I think the time. I think like eleven and six, prime. twelve and twelve and five is probably where the Ravens are looking right now. Yeah, the football team—they had the, one of the biggest wins of the weekend. They beat Tom Brady and the mm-hmm. uh, Tampa Bay Bucks at home. Uh, they lose Chase Young in the process, which is is bad, but they win that football game. I was most impressed with what they did late in that football game. Up four, mm-hmm. they could kick the field goal from point blank range and be up seven. So you're in a, we can't lose the game after that situation. You know, worst case scenario, Tom Brady comes down field, scores a touchdown. They're going to tie it. We're going to go overtime. That's your worst case scenario with a high percentage kick. That's probably as a coach where I'm leaning to go, but 
Rivera coaching those guys up, trying to make a point, being right there on the line, on the goal line, they go for it on fourth down. So then you're risking not having any more points and letting Tom Brady come down the field and win the game on you or being up two scores and securing the game. Well, they get in, score the touchdown, secure the win. I, I liked the call. I didn't understand the lack of extra point kick there. I get you don't want it blocked and taken the other way. That is such a low percentage. I'm confused with that. After the risk you just took there, it just surprised mm-hmm. me. But they stayed up by 10. But I, I liked the, the ballsy call. I, I appreciated that. Like I said, if I was the head coach, I'm not quick to make that decision. But I liked seeing it. I liked how it worked out for him. Yes, but in typical Washington fashion, no good story goes without a dark lining in that cloud. Um, they lose Chase Young for the year in that ball game, so that's their best I didn't player. Exactly on defense. have them going to the playoffs anymore. But that's their best player on defense. That's not yeah. a good story. I mean, you don't want to see it's your best good. player get hurt. No, but I also don't think that changes. It's also a leg injury. Their- I don't think that changes their season outlook. Hopefully he's able to recover fully and be the player he has been. Um, but I, it stinks for them, but I guess I just don't take that as this catastrophic thing. If they're sitting there five and two or something, I, I, I guess I am more worried about that. I yeah. don't think they're going to overtake the Cowboys. So I'm, I'm, I guess that's why. I'm well, not. no, no one in that division is going to overtake the Cowboys. No. All right, let's get out of here. Let's get to the B block where we have Mike Barber talking all things ACC. All right, next on the Exports podcast for the 12th time that the dozen visit here, we have Mike Barber from the Richmond Times Dispatch a dozen times. How, how have we tricked you that many times? <laughs> Is that why I saw I got a dozen roses delivered to my house? Were, were those from you guys? <laughs> That was it, man. That sure. was it. We'll take credit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, sure. I was taught a long time ago, if anybody ever says that you gave someone flowers, you just say, yeah, sure. Absolutely. And, and quite frankly, my, my uh, wife's grandpa has this elaborate story of how I came up to their house one time and brought her flowers. It was not me. I know who it was. I, I always, <laughs> yes, sir. Yep, that was me. Hey, if it made a good impression, <laughs> take the points. Right. I was a good little third grader. all right so let's jump right into what we really brought you on for was the basketball Uh, not that we won't get to the football uh, because you do know it all but we didn't get a good season preview on our podcast because high school football dominated the conversation last week so we've we've seen a little bit uh, but let's talk about where we care the most uh, the ACC and let's start with Virginia Tech because that's where we care the most and uh, they've started off well, and, and they have a positive outlook on this season. Uh, what is your outlook for the Hokies and, and what they're going to do this year? Yeah, Leland, I'm really, really high on Virginia Tech, um, especially early on. You know, I, I thought it was interesting that UVA opened the year at, at 25 in the poll, and Tech was unranked. And I, I think UVA can be very good this year, but I think Virginia Tech, to me, um, I'm not voting in the basketball. I'm just doing the football this year. I would have had Virginia Tech at like at least number 18. I mean, I, I think that is a, especially early, it is a loaded team. It is an experienced team. It's not deep enough for my liking, but that is the only criticism I have of, of this team is um, I think their starting lineup is fantastic. I think they've got versatile pieces. 
Uh, I think David Gasson coming off the bench has a chance to be a star uh, sooner rather than later. Um, I really, really am incredibly high on this Virginia Tech team. Uh, I'm surprised everyone doesn't see it. Um, maybe it's becoming a little clearer now with the way they dispatched of Navy after Navy took care of Virginia. Um, I think people are warming up to the fact that Kevin Aluma might be the best player in the conference. Uh, you know, he got my vote for preseason player of the year. Um, Naheem Aline, I think, is a guy who can be a star. We saw that in their one NCA game last year. So uh, I, I'm looking at Virginia Tech with extremely high expectations. So, so when you say high, the, the conference voted them fifth. Are you thinking even better than that, or do you think that's the right range? I thought that was a fair pick. I had them fourth. Um, okay. But if they put it together and stay healthy, could I see them challenging for, for the league title in the regular season? Absolutely. Love it. Um, again, an injury or two could change this story. But I think that's the truth for anybody in college basketball. Um, I think this is a, a team that, you know, it's funny. I, I keep saying it reminds me of when Mike Young was at Wofford. And he'd have those years where he had all that experience, right? Guys who were back for a fifth year because they weren't quite good enough to leave early. So they were back for their fourth or fifth year. Um, so that was like Wofford level talent and his teams, when they got like that, were really good. I think he's got that at Virginia tech, but with ACC level talent, like Kevin Aluma, like I said, he's as good as anybody in the league. Um, you know, they've got really, really good players who are older and that doesn't happen that often. And when it does, you usually have a pretty damn good team. And, and that's, and I think Mike young, I know I've said this to you guys. I think Mike young is an outstanding X's and O's, you know, get your team ready, adjust in game coach. So there's no weakness there. I, I mean, it would, I would not be stunned if we saw them contending for the top of the league. Not at all. So how much of it do you think right now? Because even after the victory against Navy and the 2-0 start and all that, you see UVA and Florida State and drop now. out of the top. Well, and yeah, now they're 3-0 because they beat Radford. <laughs> but I was talking about the poll came out today and they didn't, hadn't played Radford yet. So I'm saying the 2-0 start. Um, you see UVA and Florida State drop out of the top 25. Virginia Tech still kind of that outside looking in at 26. Do you think right now people are just reading in as, oh, the ACC might be down this year versus, oh, Virginia Tech might actually be good? Yeah, I think they're caught in that middle ground, right? Like I think people, when they're trying to figure out who to put the last five or six teams in the ballot, they're not automatically going to the ACC. Like that used to be the easy way to fill out your ballot. You got to like 2021 and then you were like, okay, who are the next four best in the ACC? Cause I know they're really good. Um, that probably isn't the case and certainly isn't the case nationally. Uh, it's not, not the way it's viewed, but I think also what you're seeing is Virginia tech was just a little bit under the radar. And I think everybody is hearing guys like me who, who understand, cause we're here, you know, that's not my genius. It's just, I'm around Mike young. I'm around Kevin Aluma. I know what they have. Guys are hearing what I say and, and write and talking to other reporters in this area. And they're saying, okay, that's interesting. They think Virginia tech is really good. Let me go take a look. And I think that's why you're seeing that slow climb. Um, because let's face it, if we're getting your attention by talking about Virginia tech, when you go and check, you're going to like what you see. You're going to like who they have back. You're going to like what they've done so far. You're going to like their coach. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's people aren't automatically going to the ACC. They're certainly not automatically going to Virginia Tech for, you know, who's the next great program. But if they take the time to look, yeah, you got to like what you see in Blacksburg. So, and I guess, you know, another way for Virginia Tech to prove that is coming up on the schedule. They've got Memphis. Then they have either Xavier, Iowa State, Maryland, 
Uh, and then one of the teams that I was looking at the top 25 poll when it came out thinking, Virginia Tech's better than that team, St. Bonaventure, they'll play them. So they'll I'll be, have a chance to either be proven right or proven wrong. But the Memphis game, in addition to being a big-time game, has the added benefit of – and Leland made the comment. I was like, oh, my gosh, I forgot about that guy because I joke on the podcast that he was dead to me, and he kind of was because I just stopped thinking about it. But Landers, it's the Landers Nolly game. It is, and he's been playing pretty well early on for Memphis. And, um, you know, he's going to have a – because he's a pretty emotional guy. He'll, he'll be up for that game. And um, I don't know the guys on this team, how they'll view it, uh, how many of them really played with him. And um, I think that will be a great storyline for all of us. And I think Landers Nolly is a handful. Um, but I think Virginia Tech and their – they know Landers Nolly, right? They know about him. And, and not to say that he hasn't developed or gotten better, but – um, yeah, when you're looking for, if you're thinking about Virginia Tech, the team, there are games there that they need to win to, to get national recognition. But if you're thinking about fans and media type, yeah, Landers Nolly on the schedule, that's gold, baby. Like that's, we want that every time. And, well, we got um, yeah, I, I don't just want to win. I want to embarrass them. I want to hold them under 10 points and make them regret. You know, I was talking leaving. to somebody and I said, the only <laughs> thing I'll guarantee, everything. yeah, the only thing I'll guarantee you though, is he's going to take a ton of shots in that game. He's going to take a ton of shots. That uh, yeah, now, that wasn't the problem he, at Tech. He loved to right. shoot. He didn't make them all he, the time. Exactly. Now, he may hit them, in which case it's going to be his night and Memphis's night. Or he may have one of those nights where he's, you know, four for 22 with five turnovers. And then it's going to be Virginia Tech's night in a big way. Um, it's certainly going to be interesting to see if he's kind of grown up from what we saw uh, or if he's still kind of that, that volume shooter who, uh, when he's off, and, and, and it's going to be hard for him, right? Playing against Virginia Tech, even if he's off, it's going to be hard for him to swing that thing. He's going to he's going to want to try to get to the rim, do something. It's uh, it has the potential to be very good or very bad for Memphis, uh, very good, very bad for Virginia Tech, depending how he's doing that night. Yeah, I'm just rooting for more turnovers than baskets made. That's that's my which he's very capable. Yes, of, right? I know. We've seen, We've seen it. Be, We've seen it. Yep. You know, he could he could <laughs> fill up the rim or he could fill up the stands, throwing the ball into the stands. So he could be either way. So the next focus within the ACC is UVA, and, and we talk about them less on this podcast just because our rooting interest isn't there. But, hey, they do start off the season with a loss, but, you know, this is a Tony Bennett team that wants to be playing their best basketball, you know, into the winter and, and approach in March, and there's no reason they can't do that. What's your outlook on the Cavaliers uh, as they get going here? Yeah, I think people are mistaking it as me being down on Virginia when I talk about how much more confident I am in tech early on. But really, it's just what you said. I think this is a Virginia team that come March, I might think they're the one that can challenge for the ACC title. Right now, no chance, right? Like right now, if you threw them in the ACC play, I don't think they do very well, but you don't do that in college basketball. Like oh, I'd love that. To, I'd love yeah. that right now. We have a bunch right. of guys that have played together and Duke and everybody's yeah. still getting their footing. Yeah, let's do that right now. <laughs> no, no, that's, I mean, we saw that, in, we saw that in college football, right? I mean, um, getting teams early in the year before they're settled, what that means. But no, I, I think Virginia does. Um, they're working in so many new pieces. I've been really impressed with Jaden Gardner, the transfer from East Carolina. Um, I think he's going to be exactly what he was at East Carolina which is exactly what they need, right? They don't need him to be 25 points and 15 boards. They need him to be 16 and 12, which is what he did at East Carolina. And I think it's, he's shown he can do that uh, here at, at UVA. I think that's going to be huge for them. Armand Franklin, it was funny, you know, he had a terrible debut. Uh, he went one for seven on three-point shots, and everyone's like, well, what's, why did we go get this guy? 
Um, and I asked Tony Bennett after the game, and I asked Kihei Clark, you know, how worried are you that you got this supposed great three-point shooter? He shot 42% last year at Indiana, and he stinks. And they're like, he doesn't stink, man. Like, we watch him in practice. We've scrimmaged with him. We've played exhibitions. Like, he had a bad night. It was his debut. That sucks. But, you know, you know give it, they said, give it a couple games, you're going to see. And then the next time out, you know, he's lights out. He drains five threes. And yeah. so I think that is a part of their offense that had to be fixed. And I think he addresses that. I think Gardner makes them a different style of team kind of going into the low post to try to score first. Um, I don't think they're going to be a lethal three point shooting team, but I think they can be good enough. Um, and I think the defense is going to come together right against Navy in the first half. They were terrible. Does do any of the three of us think that UVA is going to be terrible defensively this year? Yeah. I don't, I mean, they're it's Tony Bennett, you can, <laughs> yeah. right. You can hope and a lot of teams in the league hope, but I mean, every year there's a stretch where they're not very good. And I write a big article about how this is going to be Bennett's worst defense and, you know, what happened to the, and a week or two later, they're back to yeah. holding everybody under 60. So you have that Joe thing where you, you motivate the team. Like Joe, you know, picks yep. against teams See? and that motivates them. And you do the same thing with articles. With I, I like to get them going with criticizing three-point <laughs> shooting and defense because I never learned my lesson. But you I mean, seriously, off you look that at, this year. We'll take that. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you look at the end of every year, though, and um, even if it doesn't feel like it, they're number one or two in the nation in scoring defense. And um, I'm done betting against Tony in that regard. Like it may take them a while to get there, but by the time we're in an ACC play, this is going to be a very good defensive team. And it's going to have found some identity on offense. How good that identity is will determine how far it goes. Well, and even, I mean, you said that the defense wasn't great against Navy. They still held them to 66 points. I mean, you'll t- most nights right. that's enough. So, well, and that's the thing too. go back and, and we'll go back and Google some of my articles, criticizing the defense. <laughs> and they're still the best defense yeah, in the yeah. ACC. It's just, you know, somebody shot over 43% against them or somebody hit a bunch of threes, which is what Navy did. And, um, you know, that's always going to be the UMBC game. That's always going to be the weakness. I know you guys, Love any time we can go back to yeah, the NBC. Yeah, let's so, talk about yeah. that. Let's dig but, in. What was <laughs> historical about that game? Let's, let's re- recount that whole thing with that. But, you know, that was another team that, you know, UVA left some space on the perimeter because they play the pack and they pack it into the rim and they make it hard to penetrate. And UMBC shot them out of it. Well, Navy did that in the first half. I mean, it, it's no secret how to have a good shot to beat UVA. You got to hit your outside three. You got to move the ball, move it, move it, move it, and then take your open threes and hit them. Um, Easier said than done, right? They're long. They make it hard to move the ball. Uh, They do close out well on three-point shooters, but you do have an opportunity there. So, um, you know, I don't think this is going to be any different. The only difference this year is they seem to have less shot blocking at the rim uh, than obviously when they did with Huff because he was such a rim protector or Mamadi the year before. But I think they've got more steals on the perimeter with Reese Beekman. I really like his length, his reach. I think Franklin can be that kind of player. So, Great defense, maybe just a little different way of doing it. Um, I've talked about this on the podcast already with Leland, but I want to ask you, since you cover UVA, um, I was shocked to see, and still is the case, on the ESPN Power Index, UVA's non-conference matchup against JMU coming up. JMU is favored by the ESPN Power Index. Um, Would you be as shocked as I am? And I'm going to rile up the Harrisonburg crowd who has cult like people call it. Um, but I, I would be stunned if UVA loses that game and it's not a blowout actually. Like if they don't win that game by double digits, I'd be shocked. Yeah. I, I know it's over there and, and I like Mark Byington. I think he's a good coach. Remember he was an assistant at Virginia tech. 
Um, so we got to know Mark. I, I, I like what they're doing with that program. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know about those predict and index things. I, I look at them sometimes for football games and I, I feel like I need to turn <laughs> off my computer and like restart it. Like maybe it just loaded wrong. Right. Um, that's, that's the reason what, we got rid of the BCS is that, that thing. Right. right there. Exactly. Yeah. It just it feels like you need to call your IT guy and be like, Hey, it's not working. Um, yeah. I, I expect Virginia again. <laughs> yeah. I expect Virginia to, to, to win that game. I, I think they'll be favored by Vegas when it comes to that point. Um, you know, they'll be playing a little bit ostensibly better. This Houston game obviously is going to be a, a major, major test. And, and um, you know, the size that the Houston has, the athleticism in the front court. Um, but I would think that, yeah, JMU is more in line with, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but more in line with like Radford, um, <laughs> yeah. who, who yeah. you know, UVA just dispatched of. Sure. Um, maybe I'm underestimating them, but no, or maybe they not. think they're playing the women's team. Because I know JMU's women's team is pretty good. But Yeah, they beat um, they just beat them. Team. They just beat UVA. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, well, that's. UVA's women's team is a whole yeah. other topic for a whole other episode. That's uh, that, that wreck isn't even on the train track. So Regan will take those wins. He'll take those power five wins. But absolutely. And- right, because uh, we talked a lot right here yesterday about the potential of Quinte being fired. Well, potential became reality this morning early in the morning. And uh, Mike, thanks for coming back with us back-to-back days here for us. We appreciate you, even though our listeners won't really know that offhand. But uh, thanks for coming on. Why Tuesday at 7.45 am I seeing this news? Why not Monday? Why not after a game on Saturday? Um, I know that takes the emotion away from it, but why Tuesday at 7.45 a.m. was this the news? Yeah, I think it's a good question that I don't really have an answer for because I think Monday would have been the more logical day. Um, Logistically, they went with Tuesday because um, the team gets Monday off. Tuesday, they reassemble, they meet, and they practice. So it was a, the team came back, they wanted to tell the team, and then they wanted to tell the media at the same time because they didn't want the media to find out when players started tweeting, you know, um, yeah. you know, all, all the best to Coach Fuente, that kind of stuff. Now, why wasn't this done Sunday? I guess too immediate after the game, maybe let the guys enjoy their senior day victory. Uh, Monday, could you have brought the team in and addressed them? I think that would be fine. I think they were trying to give the guys the day off. So um, it's funky, but logistics is really the reason they wanted the team all together. And Tuesday is when they start game week practice. So now it's done Tuesday morning. J.C. Price, the interim coach, the staff, however they're going to proceed, they can launch into a normal Tuesday and game week. It's not normal, obviously. You just had your head coach fired. But um, logistically, it is. It's Tuesday. We start doing our Tuesday practice, and, and you go from there. Well, it wasn't normal from the fan perspective either. It, it ruined my productivity this morning. I had this, this, and this to do for stuff I get paid for, and this interrupted all of it. So, Well, I, I get paid to do this, and it still threw my day into, into tatters. So I'm sure for you guys it was brutal. So, so how about you guys? Oh, well, I wanted to reach out, uh, kind of follow up. I, I did see the theory, too, on timing, and I don't know how much credence you give to it, that the basketball game was last night and they didn't want to overshadow that. But yeah, my, my problem I, with that theory is there's Virginia Tech sports going on every night, so you're going to overshadow something. Right. You know, that it might have been a bonus when they started talking, okay, when should we do it? Well, the team's gone Monday. Well, there's a basketball game anyway, Monday. Okay. So, um, you know, it certainly is, is a plus, but I don't think if the team had been together Monday, I don't think they would have worried about the basketball game. All right. Let's talk about the financials of this. I think (laughs) that's been a big topic a year ago when we thought it was 
uh, possible that Fuente could go. We really talked about that. What was it? Twelve and a half million at that point. Uh, this season, there's been the talk about the ten million. It was supposed to go down in December. Uh, talk about the financials here and what Virginia Tech's having to deal with. Yeah, and I'll preface this by saying it's the part of college sports that I hate. Um, you know, sure. two point five million dollars or whatever you end up wasting and what they're paying him and, and wasting is kind of an unfair term. Um, they're paying him eight point seven five million in the buyout. That's a negotiated number. He was owed 10. Uh, if they waited till December, they could have got away with paying him uh, seven, five. They split the difference and said, look, let's do it now. We'll give you a halfway between the two numbers. That's the deal he took. Um, the thing that bugs me, you know, $8.75 million to pay somebody not to coach. Um, you know, what could that do for Montgomery County schools? What could that do for the hospital? It's, it's the part of my job I hate, and we don't need to go down that road, but it, it's hard to wrap your head around sometimes. Um, you know, when they're talking about, well, 2.5 million, if they want to do it now is no big deal. $2.5 million. I don't know about you guys. It sounds like a, a pretty big deal to me, but um, in terms of the financial hit, they negotiated the buyout down. It's 8.75 million. It lets them make the move now, uh, not pay the full 10 Certainly for Justin Fuente, getting $8.75 million to not work is a pretty good deal. Um, you know, that's the hit. And then it says two things to me. One, you know, that dings your budget, right? That's a huge chunk of money. But you don't spend that money unless you're committed to doing this higher at a high level, right? Otherwise, you did waste that money. So as galling as that number is, if I'm a tech fan, that says to me, okay, we're ready to pay a good amount for our next coach because we just flushed 8.75 million. If that doesn't make us blink, then there isn't going to be a number in contract negotiations that stumbles you. I wouldn't think. Well, I think the other thing too with that is, and I guess this gets us a little out of order, but let's, let's talk about that since we're talking about putting money in, uh, who are these, Candidates that you think Virginia Tech could possibly be talking to. I mean, obviously, some of them more realistic than others. But uh, let's talk about, I guess, I want to ask you, who do you think is realistic? I, let's forget right. the Luke Fickles and, and those that yeah, are probably exactly. pipe dreams. I, I think Luke Fickle and Shane Beamer, are, you know, they're great names to talk about. But you're right. There's not reality there. The only one in the reach category that I think could be a possibility, it's just I don't know him well enough is Dave Clawson at Wake Forest, who has ties in Virginia, uh, has proven over and over and over he can do more with less, is an offensive wizard. I mean, the way they play, and granted, they have Sam Hartman now, and he's great, but their schemes are very, very sound offensively. Um, And again, you'd assume they they bring their staff, their offensive coordinator is outstanding. Uh, He's the one that I think you you certainly reach out to uh, and see what you can do. Now, Dave, it may be very comfortable at Wake, um, there's getting a lot of money coming into Wake Forest right now. Their facilities are great. Um, they're getting more financial backing. So I don't know if that's realistic, but I think it's certainly um, worth a, an inquiry. At the end of the day, I think you're looking more at names like Billy Napier uh, at Louisiana, who ironically will be here in Virginia this weekend, right, playing Liberty. Uh, so people have suggested maybe Wick goes down and takes a scouting trip. I don't think he looks. He, he doesn't have to fly there, does he? He can just no, no. Yeah. Yeah, right. We won't be able. To, we won't be able to track tail numbers, and um, I don't think he'll be looking at Hugh Freeze if he's there. I think that would be about Billy, yeah. uh, Coach Napier, and um, so that's a good one. Jamie Chadwell at uh, Coastal Carolina. 
I think is a good one. So I think you're looking, you know, which track record has been proven head coaches? Because there's some coordinators out there that I'm really high on. Uh, Marcus Freeman, uh, the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame, I think would be a great candidate. Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator at Michigan, who has that mentor-mentee relationship with Witt through that program the AD started. I think both those guys deserve a look. Um, but at the end of the day, Witt's track record is – he wants to hire a guy with a proven record as a head coach, and that's why I think Napier and Chadwell. I don't think it's a great offseason for coaches, right? There aren't like a lot of guys that you're like, ooh, ooh, that guy. I want that guy. Um, and I think that's part of the, going back to your first question about timing. I think part of the reason they wanted to do it was there could be four or five jobs open in the ACC, guys. I think Witt wanted to be at the front of the line for the next coach. I'll say yeah. Miami fired their AD this morning, and it kind of looks like once they have the new AD, Manny will be let go. Um, what, so but talk about coaches. I know you're talking about a coach with previous head coach experience. I, I value that wit said that too. I do look at Tony Elliott from Clemson. That was a, a name we heard a lot about a year ago. Now this season, Clemson's not performing as well, particularly offensively. I, it's hard for me to ignore two national championships, six college football playoff runs. He's been in charge at least partially of the offense through that whole stretch. Um, he's an associate head coach there. I, that's a name. I know he's not a head coach right now, but it's just it's hard for me to not bring that name up and actually not, not be excited about that. I am excited. About, like, if you want to give me a piece of what Clemson's doing and form it on our own here at Virginia Tech, I, I am interested in that. And, and I don't think Clemson, I, from, from my awareness of geography, Clemson's not on a beach. Clemson's not <laughs> in the middle of, warm weather uh you know it's it's off in the middle of the state and over there and i i think that is a potential hire that i know he's not a head coach right now but that's a name i keep burning up to all my friends i think that would be a great hire um again i think they worry about the fan reaction because the luster is off clemson right now um does it feel like you know, a lot oh, of luster <laughs> and i agree right like Tony Ella didn't forget how to coach football because they had one bad season um yeah. to me it's an opportunity to kind of buy low Right. People are down on the guy. Good. Go steal him. Go take him. Um, and, and I think you bring up a great point in terms of geography, like what they've been able to do at Clemson from really nothing when Dabo took over is what you. And that's the thing that I think tech fans and, and I know how you guys feel. And it's kind of good to hear you say it, though. But the tech fans need to embrace that, that this is a bit of a rebuilding. Right. Like Fronte was tasked yeah. with you know, keeping it going. And, and even though it had dipped under Frank, there was this sense of like, this is still the team that wins 10 games a year, even though they hadn't done it. And we want a guy to come in and take it to the next level. This is a rebuilding job. This is to get tech back to what it could be in the ACC. And, and in some ways, something new. Um, and that's why I, I do think a coordinator, um, and I think Elliot's a great choice. Again, Marcus Freeman, I, I really like what he does on the defensive side of the ball. I think they're going to look offense. Um, so I, I think Elliot probably more than Freeman in their mind. Um, but, but I do think that it's going to be one of those cases where maybe your best candidate is a coordinator, but it's not what they're comfortable going with. And they're going to end up going with the experience. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see because, you know, the other thing when I brought up Dave Clawson, that team looks like it's going to be playing some meaningful football late in the year, which may delay when you get to talk to him. And, and obviously, you know, which track record and, I wish I could find that scrap of paper. Here it is. I, I looked this up earlier, but um, James Johnson was fired on March 17th. Four days later, Buzz Williams was hired. 
Uh, Buzz Williams left for A&M on April 3rd. Four days later, Mike Young was hired. Dennis Wolf on the women's basketball team, he was fired on March 22nd. Six days later, uh, Kenny Brooks was hired away from JMU. Now, this is an in-season hire. It won't be as quick, but my point is, Whit Babcock knows where he wants to go already, and it's just a matter of how quickly can he get it done, and it it makes it interesting, I think. And I think that my Tony Elliott hope uh, and, and I say Tony Elliott is kind of my number one guy. I think I'm saying it because I'm not hearing a lot of the people say it. So I'm, I'm clean into that different name. It's not Napier and Chadwell. Um, but also, wouldn't he come now? I mean, they're not playing for a national championship. They're not going to be playing into January. Um, you know, wouldn't he be willing to come on up the road? That would be really interesting. Um, you know, we've seen guys have different takes on that. Um, some guys are like, I'm staying with my team through the bowl game. And some guys are like, you know, okay, it's time to go. And some head coaches will tell you, Hey, if you're out, I want you out. (laughs) Uh, I want to start working on what's next. So, yeah, I think that's another interesting thing, especially when you look at the coordinators, um, you have the opportunity to get somebody in here and get familiar with these players. And, you know, I thought, you know, the narrative won't be this because it went so badly for Fuente his last four years. You remember he was 19 and eight, his first two seasons. He's been 24 and 23 the last four years, including 17 and 15 in the AC. That's terrible. Oh, we know. (laughs) Oh yeah. You guys are acutely aware. It's that's, that's more for the listeners, but, uh, but I I think that we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that people are going to lump this in with the narrative of, Oh, it's hard to be the guy who replaces the guy. And I don't think that's right because I think Justin Fuente and Whit Babcock and Bud Foster handled that part. Awesome. I thought they handled that transition, everything perfectly. Yes. They had Fuente and his staff, those guys coming in and yep. working with the team, but the old guys finishing out, getting their, hitting the ground, recruiting. Um, the way they honored Beamer's legacy, um, the way they kept Bud, I thought they nailed all that. Absolutely. The problem was after that, because after you've done that, after you've made the transition, now this is Justin Fuente's program. What can you do with it? And that's what stunk. Right. Like the transition was great. And then if from there he kept going, even at the level he was at, that's great success. The problem was once it became his own baby, it just it couldn't stand on its own two legs. And, and, and that's where things collapse. So I, I just want to bring up that point because I think they deserve a lot of credit. And I don't like seeing some of the national guys saying, oh, it's hard to follow a legend. Justin Fuente did an excellent job following a legend. He did a lousy job building a program. So I want to ask you, because we, we had you on about this time last year. I was very adamant on this needed to happen last year, because if you let him stay around, it's just another year he can kill your program and all kinds of stuff. Um, maybe a little bit of hyperbole, but <laughs> from you. Yeah, but so let's ask, I want to ask what changed, because last year there was a at the end of the year, there was a press conference call that a lot of people thought, oh, this is the press conference to announce. Justin Fuente's no longer coming back. And then not only is he coming back, but Wick Babcock kind of vehemently defends him. Um, and it was a, it's been an infamous, I think, press conference for Whit Babcock at this point. Um, what has changed since that press conference to today? And see, Joe, I don't think anything's changed. And that's the problem. I think that press conference was saying, Hey, this isn't good enough. This is your last chance. Like we all said, when the AD, any job, if your boss calls a press conference to say he's not firing you, that means he was pretty well thinking about it, right? Like that's not <laughs> yeah. a random the thought thing. crossed like, his mind. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like that doesn't happen just all the time. You don't just say, hey, this week I'm going to have a press conference yeah. to say I'm not firing my guy. 
That's um, not a response to crazy Twitter people. That's exactly. you know, real conversations. Right. Yeah. That was, we were on the cusp. We were trying to decide. We were at the precipice and they decided to give him one more year. So I don't think anything changed. And that's why Joseph Fuente was fired. I think they wanted to see eight wins. I think they wanted to see um, an improved offense. I think they wanted to see progress at the quarterback position. I think they wanted to see a change perception in terms of recruiting how important is in-state versus Texas or Carolina. Um, and again, I think they get a bad rap there because I think they did focus on Virginia, but I think their social media people hyped up Texas to VT and you know winning in Carolina, and it gave the impression to the high school coaches that they were second fiddle. They weren't as important. I don't think that was a philosophy. I think that was a perception and the perception is just as damning. You can't let that happen. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. But that, you know, really in short, nothing changed and all those things had to change for Justin to keep his job. Well, I, I mean, and we'll talk more about this in our, on our revamp here in, in block C here, Joe and I, but, I'm just happy that we're not going to go into these two games that as a Hokie fan, I want to win where you're worried that those wins could change what the rest of us thought was already decided. I'm glad it is decided. I'm glad I can root for my team straight up to win these next two games. I don't think that means, uh, you know, JC price is, ends up the head coach if he does that. Uh, but I, that's what I want to do. I always want to beat Miami. I always want to beat UVA even more. So uh, I'd like to be in a bowl game and, and win it. So I'm glad there's not a situation there where that buys them more time. So I'm, I'm personally happy as a Hokie fan. And I think, I think a lot of the Hokie fans are, I, I, I think uh, I'm sure the players are upset. The ones that, that knew Fuente better than we do that did was behind the curtain and actually got to know the guy instead of being closed off like the rest of us. And also, you know, seeing like laser talking about, you know, how, how much he's going to miss him, how much he enjoys. I get that from that point of view, because they know the guy differently, but the rest of us, get pushed out and you get no benefit of the doubt when you get pushed out. And that's why we've had no benefit for him and we want him gone. So, yeah. And Leland, I think that was part of that press conference that Joe was talking about was, Hey, you need to be more marketable to fans. You need to be more accessible to the media. And I'll give Justin Fuente credit, even though he and I never got along and, and, and things did not necessarily get oh, better. Really? For, there, was, there was friction <laughs> between you two. There, there was some friction there. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I talked about a lot of ludicrous crap as we've referenced <laughs> before, but, but uh, <laughs> we need that soundbite queued up every time we, but uh, that's how we, but that's I, I will say you. this. I think that, that Justin did make an effort to be better with the media and with fans this year. And I'll tell you um, in Charlotte at media day, he answered every one of my stupid questions about a fishing trip he took with his daughter um, out in South Carolina going fishing. And, and, you know, I was using it to set up a story and, and, and talk about his ease and peace going into the season. And the old Justin Fuente would have been, you know, gruff and blowing it off. And, and he, he entertained three or four follow up. What kind of fish did you catch? How big was it? What kind of boat were you on? And um, I think he was making an effort here. But at the end of the day, all of that helps you if you're on the borderline and I don't think at five and five, I just don't think the guy was on the borderline. So let's, I want to ask you, Leland and I will probably do our own. Um, but what, what would you consider the high points and the low points of Justin Fuente's time at Virginia tech? Yeah. Well, I mean, losing to Virginia comes to mind for a low point. Um, that streak just meant so much. Um, you know, an unfair low point was the Liberty game where he calls that timeout. And, you know, I, th I think you and I have all talked about this, but that's not really his fault. Every coach calls timeout in that spot, but it was sort of Justin Fuente in a nutshell. Like 
he does this fairly normal thing and it just blows up in his face. And um, he just seemed like, you know, you talk about the Midas touch where everything you touch turns to gold. And he just kind of had, you know, he had the dog waste touch, I guess. Everything just turned, <laughs> it, you know, and it, 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 I don't know that it's his fault, but that's reality. And um, but high points, man, those first two years were were beautiful. And, I, and you guys must remember as a tech fan. Yeah. Here you are. Yeah. You're winning 10 games. You're winning the Coastal. And, and people forget it wasn't. Yeah, the Coastal's terrible. I get that. But they won the Coastal and then they gave Clemson a real run for their money. And that was a great Clemson team. I mean, you walked out of that stadium. I remember that day thinking like, wow, this is the home run of all home run hires. And this guy's going to be winning 10 games a year. And it isn't going to be long before Virginia Tech knocks off Clemson as the and, and that wasn't. You know, that's a media guy. That's not fan talk. That I know fans yeah. felt that way, but media people, we sat there and were like, wow, this is the start of something big. And then even that next year, they lost a little momentum and, and the way they lost the bowl game. But you still felt pretty good, I thought, uh, about things. And it, it just, you know, you, it, those days seem so long ago. Yes. They really do. And, and you, the Virginia series sort of is the epitome, the way it was chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And guys, don't discount the fact that the fact that they're having success over the mountain, especially at the quarterback position with Bankert, Perkins, and Armstrong, that's got to chap you a little bit. If you're a tech person who brought in a quarterback guru, that position's been a mess, and here are your rivals doing that. So, you know, high points, I, there were a lot of them at the beginning. Uh, low points, you can throw a dart at any moment in the last four years, and you probably hit a pretty low point. <laughs> ODU. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I didn't even mention it. And that's another thing. ODU and all the guys in the, in the transfer portal, right? And, yeah. and again, part of that's the reality of college football these days, but it all added to the perception that things weren't going well in this program. And, you know, Justin had a meeting with us at one point and he kind of went through kid by kid, like, look off the record, here's what happened with this kid. And here's what happened. And, and there was nothing in there that made me say, this is a bad coach. He's mismanaging his program. But at the end of the day, aren't you responsible if 20-something guys jump ship? Like, again, it, there's a lot of things that I don't know what Justin Fuente could have done differently or should have done differently, but I know that what Justin Fuente did didn't work, and that's why he's out. Yeah. I remember that SI article, too. I, I mean, I come back to that a lot of time. That's where my VT group of friends, that, that we come back to that, and that that, that article exists is, was a problem. Yeah, and very un-Virginia Tech. And, and I don't know if that article was fair <laughs> and some of the, the things that were said maybe. But it doesn't happen if things were going well, right? That, sure. that article isn't being written about every program in America. It was written about Virginia Tech because there was an opening there and there was enough problem. And again, you know, I keep saying there's a million things that I don't know if Justin Fuente did the wrong thing, but I know that what he did didn't work. And when you're the head coach, you got to make it work. Hey, he's the captain of the ship, not any longer. So I know we will be bugging you behind the scenes for any inside information, but I know it's going to be hard to get out of wit. But uh, just It'll just, be interesting to follow, be interesting to see. <laughs> and I do want to say before we get out of here, because I've known him forever, J.C. Price is going yeah. to do a great job as yeah. the interim coach. I, I'm not saying he'd, he'd be a candidate or, you know, I'm not saying yeah. if they're going to win or lose. J.C. Price cares about players. J.C. Price works incredibly hard. Um, I think they made a great choice. In other words, for somebody to steer the ship for the next month, I think J.C. Price, if you're a Tech fan, uh, that's a guy you can root for, former All-American defensive lineman for the Hokies, guy who's just going to pour himself into what they ask him to do. Um, I mean, he's the kind of guy that in a bad spot, you can turn to him and say, 
we need somebody and he's going to step up and that's what he's doing here. And, um, you know, if there's some good news uh, for tech fans in that part of things, I think it's JC Price is going to do a great job for you over the next month of the season. Well, that's good to hear. Well, we thank you coming on with us. We're going to bug you as soon as there's a hire made. Just, just pencil us in. We'll, we're going to take you at nine o'clock uh, <laughs> that night. And uh, we look forward to that. And we look forward to your coverage of Hokey football through this uh, transitional time. And uh, encourage everybody to make sure you're subscribed to Richmond Times Dispatch uh, so you get all of uh, Mike's stuff as soon as you can get it. And uh, I do also want to mention, is this my 13th appearance now? This is still or, 12. This or is, is 12 it 12 and a half? Yeah. 12 and a half. Yeah, yeah we'll give it you It feels half. like being John Malkovich with the half floor. <laughs> so I think, I think that's fair. 12 and a half it is. It's going to be even weirder for the listener as we jump into UVA talk right now. And there's probably a reference or two to Fuente still being coach. So it's, it's, it's really a Malkovich-Malkovich, no it's, doubt situation. It yeah. was a crazy day, but you guys made the best of it. So thanks for having me both times. Yes, Thank sir. You. So UVA football, quickly, uh, they, they, they've had the ups and downs. They have the offense. They don't have the defense. Um, what, you know, where, when this season comes to an end, and, and I know there's still a couple games left, you know, where is their crosshairs on what they wished went different? I, I know you're probably going to look on the defensive side of the football, but maybe be more specific. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. It reminds me of the old cartoon of the kid in front of a dam and it's got a, a, a leak and he sticks his thumb in and he sticks his thumb and it stops leaking. And then it pops out another hole and starts leaking somewhere else. Virginia knew they stunk in the back end last year. They were horrible in the secondary. And this year they've dropped eight in coverage. They've only rushed three. They've played that true three, three, five. They've dropped eight in coverage. And they've said, we're not going to give up big pass plays over our head. And to their credit, I guess they haven't done that, but they've just been killed uh, in the run game. And because they've been killed in the run game, and, and I think their confidence has gone down, their tackling has gone down the toilet here the last two weeks. And now you're getting, you know, no, they're not giving up 70-yard over-their-head passes. They're giving up eight-yard passes, then missing three tackles, and it turns into the same 80-yard. It doesn't matter how you get there, right? If you give up a 75-yard touchdown, that stinks. It doesn't matter if you missed a tackle, if you missed an assignment. They're always talking, well, this game, we had our assignments right. Well, great, but you didn't tackle anybody, right? Like, so I think that's it. It just feels like this defense doesn't have enough good players on it, and they keep trying to scheme around it because I do think it's a it's a smart coaching staff. I do think they know the defensive side of the ball. Broncos very involved there. Um, I like Kelly Papinga and Nick Hall as coaches. I think they know what they're doing, but I feel like they just sold out to solve one problem, and it just brought up a whole slew of other ones. And they just you can't count on this defense now when you have Brendan Armstrong healthy. You say, oh, well, screw it. Here we go. Let's go yeah. win 56-42. It'll be fun. And, and, you know, I love watching it. It is fun. But then Armstrong gets hurt. Now you can't move the football and you can't do anything but try field goals. And you're still going to give up points. It's just not going to work that way. Yeah, I, I, I do agree with you. The BYU game the other week was fun to watch. It was just a, yeah. like the old greatest show It actually was really turf. fun to watch. Yeah. And it was, yeah, yeah. well, you guys love the way it ended too, but I mean, you know, everybody at UVA was talking about how come Brennan Armstrong's not getting any love? How come he's not getting national attention? How come he's not being talked about as a fringe Heisman candidate, all these kind of things. And that night it was starting to happen. Like if you're on my Twitter feed, like I got all my other fellow Heisman voters on it and that's who they were talking. Brennan Armstrong had, man, he is the real deal, all this. And it felt like, man, UVA football's at this moment here. And then their defense is just, atrocious 
So you're like, okay, now it's all about Armstrong. You're not elevating the Virginia program because your defense stinks. But okay, Armstrong's going to elevate himself. But you'll take, and you'll take that. Absolutely. Yeah. And then he gets hurt and you yeah. kind of throw that away. And, um, and he gets hurt late in the season. So now, you know, you control your own destiny to win the Coastal. Can you do it without maybe the best offensive player in the ACC? I don't think so. I mean, they're going to try, but I don't think so. And, you know, without Armstrong, they could lose the next two games. And um, that's the reality. And, and that certainly changes the narrative. Um, you know, if you go eight and four and win the Coastal, it's a really good year. If you go six and six, nah, that, that was wildly unimpressive. So last question, just really quickly, who do you like from you. in the Commonwealth Cup? <laughs> predict all um, this predict injuries predict everything yeah. who wins yeah so my prediction <laughs> is my prediction is brendan armstrong is back for that game and virginia wins that game uh, uh, my prediction is it's a competitive first quarter armstrong hits a couple long plays and tech is just ready to to call it a year which hard, hard to blame them um now again if, if i'm wrong and he doesn't play oh boy i mean that's going to be a slobber knocker, right? Like that's going to be a game where you just hope it doesn't turn into a bench clearing brawl. Cause it's going to be 17, 14. Maybe you want that. out of, <laughs> But uh, you know, 17, 14 and come down to the end and just a wild, you know, day. it has a chance to be really thrilling. Maybe one or both teams um, or, or at least for tech could be playing for bowl, yeah. bowl eligibility and all that. I mean, it could be a really drama filled night, but my prediction is that, that Armstrong, whether he plays this week, I don't know, but he's back for that game, and and yeah. Virginia is too much for Tech uh, at the end here. Yeah, they score points, and that that doesn't bode well for Virginia Tech. I, I can't imagine Virginia Tech, <laughs> even as bad as UVA's defense is, I don't know where Tech goes to score points. Uh, Malachi Thomas has looked good. Blackshear looked great this last game, but I just I can't I can't picture in my head. Close your eyes and picture it. Yeah. I can't picture them scoring more than two or three touchdowns. And I can't see Brennan Armstrong scoring less than that. So that's kind of where I get there. All right. For the real last questions, we're going to end where we started. Who wins the ACC oh. basketball? Who, who wins ACC basketball tur- season, tournament, regular season, however you want to answer it. So despite the fact that we're wrong every time we say this, I think it's Duke. I think Mike Krzyzewski, kind of what I talked about to you about with Virginia Tech, I think he's got – not just great talent, which obviously they always have great talent, yeah. but he's got some experience back. Now, this Wendell Moore injury will be interesting to see how long-term it is, how that shakes out. Um, but he's got some guys in the program who have played, who can help Banchero and all those young guys that they have with Keels who look really good. Um, I think this is not just – it may be not the most talented Krzyzewski team that we've picked to win the ACC and been wrong about, but this has got the best balance of young talent – and some guys who have played, you know, Mike's all in because it's his last season. Um, it's the obvious fairy tale story pick, but I like Duke's pieces. Like, forget all the storyline stuff. Look at the roster. Look at what he's got. I like their pieces. I think Duke is going to win it. When I think Duke will win the ACC, and I wouldn't be surprised if Duke sends uh, Mike Krzyzewski out with a national title. Uh, Rough. I know. Yeah, I know my I wife's just, a Duke fan too, and that's just. Mm. Oh, that makes it even double. I just picked. <laughs> I just picked UVA to win the Commonwealth Cup and Duke to win the uh, yeah, ACC. There might what? not be a you know what? Not a not be no a beggars doesn't come. That's what it no, takes to get rid of Fuente. I'll I'll lose the Commonwealth Cup. Whatever it takes. <laughs> it's a, a trade off. That's true. That that's yeah, where we are. That's why. I mean, any other time you would say that, I would boo you in your face, and I was just like, <laughs> eh, that I don't like it, but it's going to turn yeah. into good. You'll so. take it because it'll get you to the end result you want. I yeah. got yep. you. <laughs> 
Well, Mike, thanks for coming on with us, like always. And uh, despite your predictions, we'll have you back, uh, I'm sure, very soon. Uh, if there's news to report in early December, I could, I could imagine us calling you for some reason. So um, if not then, I'm sure we'll get back to basketball or, or bowl games, and we look forward to having you then. I can't wait. And before I go, I'll tell you, I've been watching Boardwalk Empire on HBO. Oh, yeah, oh, great show. So I don't, don't know if you guys still are interested in, in my no, TV we, picture. No, we are. We're just t- tight on time tonight. So, but thank you for hitting it quick. That's yeah, a good there you go. That's my recommendation <laughs> for great this answer. episode. Great answer. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming on, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for having me. All right. We are recording this special part. Um, Leland is going to do his best editing since I have other obligations I have to get ready for. Uh, But Leland is going to try to edit this the best he can. But you may hear talk (laughs) earlier in the podcast of Fuente coaching or our frustrations with Fuente being the coach and blah, blah, blah. Well, this is us adding here in the C block. Fuente is out. Leland and I felt the need to record. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, look, it's great, right? And, um, It's a great day to be a Hokey, and hopefully, this is the the next hire is the right one. And as I said in a in a tweet this morning, it was just time. I I think it was it's been a long time coming, but this is this is time. Hopefully, the next hire makes Lane Stadium a fortress again. Because to be honest, and, and you know, I I had people message me and. Uh, say, you know, well, I Lane Stadium's still scary to me. And I was like, it's not scary to our opponents. So um, now that's Syracuse just beat us in Lane Stadium a couple yeah. weeks ago. So I, yeah, Duke I embarrassed us a few years before that. So it's just not Lane Stadium. Liberty beat us in Lane Stadium. So I, I'm sorry. When, those, when you have those losses on your resume, Pitt comes in there, kicks our face in. Um, it's just loss after loss after loss in Lane Stadium. And you look at those, and yeah, that's not. That's not when Lane Stadium is at its best. And when teams are like, oh, man, we have to go to Lane Stadium and play with those ra- those rowdy fans and everything. Like, I want that. Yes, the fans are rowdy. Yeah. Yes, the fans are passionate. But we don't win those games. And so that's one of these reasons that he's got to go. And so you need, you need to win your home games. You need to win big road games. You need to be better. Uh, you need to be winning the Coastal. And the Coastal's Everything's got to be better. Everything's got to be better. Yeah, I mean that's the so, thing. Everything's got to be. Better. Yeah. This is so far below our standard. I get it. You know, we hadn't had a bunch of losing seasons. We just started dipping into those. But our standard is eight plus wins. I mean, we were in ten wins a season for how long? It's just got to be better. We're we're not okay with with mediocrity. And and to you know to backstab UVA in this conversation. But Bronco Mendenhall has, has his ups and downs over there. And I had a conversation with someone today after this winter news, and they're like, well, someone should get that Bronco out of there. And I was like, no. I mean, they were so much worse for so long that they are still better. And, and I get that. I'm not even – I'm really not trying to talk crap on them in that. I agree that they shouldn't be trying to get them out of there because I think he's doing a, a pretty good job, and they're heading the right direction, and they're hanging around good. They're not dropping off the face of the earth like we've seen in the bats. We feel like we're dropping off the earth when we're only winning five games or five or six games or just are missing a bowl. We're not used to missing bowls. And we still have an opportunity to get there. I know what I said in the interview. I was happy that we – I can just 
honestly cheer for the Hokies these next two regular season games, and hopefully we at least win one of them and we can get to go to a bowl game. And and I don't have to worry about the repercussions of that being different than I want them to be. I, I'll be happy with whatever happens because of that because Fuente is not going to be coming back next year, and, and we're going to see something new. And, man, the offseason, <laughs> you know, we're always excited for Hokie uh, football to come back in August, but – uh, man, this is going to be an exciting offseason of all the unknowns that we don't even know about yet. Yeah, I think, you know, like you said, I, I had even said, I think, on that interview that probably that part got clipped out of the Barber interview, the original one. Um, sure. <laughs> that I kind of didn't want to win those Miami and UV games for that reason. Like, I didn't want there to be any reason for yeah. him to be back. And, and even though those losses would hurt and not going to a bowl game would hurt, the greater good is this guy leaves the program and you can continue to build the program with someone who I think can actually do it. I don't, I just thought Fuente wasn't able to do it. And I know the players today tweeted their support and everything. And that's great. I'm glad that he had a positive impact Mm -hmm. on their lives. Um, But in particular, James Mitchell saying, you know, for the people who don't put on pads, I guess I'm glad they're happy. Like, okay, you know what? I wish we were winning the Coastal. I wish we were winning games. So I'm sorry that mediocrity isn't cool with me. Maybe it's cool with the locker room. Maybe that's what you're saying. That's cool. It's not for us. We have higher standards than that at Virginia Tech, and if that's not the same standards, then even as much as James Mitchell's great and I like him, if that's not the standard he wants to live up to, then cool, go play somewhere else. Don't come to play in Blacksburg. I want players... He's in a different bubble than us, man. I mean, he... It's just... It's just he's living a different life than we are. He knows a different Justin Fuente than we know he's his results with Justin Fuente are so much more personal and, and that's and fine gain and all that. And that's fine. And, and but it's the, it it's the, da- it's the sideways shot at fans that I don't appreciate. It's the sideways shot at fans and just the tone deafness of it. I'm like, look, man, I get, maybe you were close to him and this is a hard day for you. And I feel bad for you in that sense. But am I going to sit here and be like, man, we should have kept Fuente because James, Mitchell's really upset. No, absolutely not. At the end of the day, Justin Fuente didn't win enough games. And if the p- players loved him this much, maybe they should have gone out there and won a few more games. And he'd still have a job. And we wouldn't be talking about getting rid of him. I, I mean, there's a lot of guys that left the program, and I'd be interested to see their comments of how much they love. Uh, some of them, I don't, I don't think some of them had something to say with the, with the particulars of apparently with Babcock offered to let Fuente finish the year, and Fuente said, no, I'm good. Um, yeah, he did. I saw a particular player say, where's all those people that blamed the players who transferred out on quitting on the program? Where are they now? Um, so I did see that uh, from a former player. I don't blame Fuente. Gonna, I, I don't blame him for that. I'm not players like that, though. No, and I'm not, I'm not going to blame Fuente for not wanting to finish the season. When your boss no. comes in and says, hey, you're going to get fired at the end of the year. Do you want to finish this year? I don't care if he says, no, not really. I'm good. I, I, TCU's coach just had the same opportunity a couple weeks ago, and he got out too, and Gary Patterson. And, yeah. and yeah, it's I right did call. see people get, be like, wow, what if Fuente gets the TCU job? Um, then I would say you TCU's know. punting on their football program if that happens. Yeah, they're, they're dropping down to FCS. <laughs> I mean, it's, or they're going to leave the Pac-12 and go join the American where Cincinnati came out of. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, that's not – He's not getting a Power 5 head coaching job. It's just not going to happen. Maybe he's an assistant at TCU, but he's not going to – he's going to have to know that person. And maybe wherever Gary Patterson ends up, maybe Justin Fuente that's ends up. But Exactly what I was about to say is yeah. wait, wait till you see where Patterson gets hired and 
see that because I think Patterson's pretty hireable. Uh, they dropped off a touch there, but that long stress of stretch of success, he built that program up. He's the reason we TCU's in the SEC or in the Big, Big 12. 12. Um, and so I just, yeah, he, he has a lot more on his resume to use, and I, I definitely see Fuente rejoining him. And Fuente's going to keep coaching. I mean, he's, he's not just terrible at everything football. It's just he needs to not be a head coach of a Power 5 program right now. That's, that's what's up. And I, I think even a G5 program, I think he just needs, he needs a second to reevaluate how he wants to approach the head coach job before he does that again. And I think it's going to be at a lower level again. And, um, you know, there's guys that leave our program that I root for. You know, Hinden Hooker being one of them. Um, I, honestly, at North Dakota. I think uh, Hinden Hooker is uh, exhibit A in yeah. in, in what yeah. would have changed people's minds and when it became painfully obvious, like, oh, yeah. this guy and this staff are the problem. Like, yeah. he leaves yeah. here, and now he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I think so too, but I, I root for those guys. There's other people I root for assistant coaches, even if they only stay Daryl Chaplin sure. here long, he goes on. I'm rooting for him. Fuente's not going to be a guy I'm rooting for just because I will the, say though, of the wall around him and yeah. what he like the, the home that we had in tech football and the feeling that Beamer gave us that that didn't get continued with Fuente and that's not his style. Fine. But that also means I'm not going to be your guy after, after you leave. And, and, I'm sure there'll be some moments where I'm like, hey, look, he failed. Ha, ha, ha. I'm sure that's going to come out of me because I'm not going to be rooting <laughs> for this guy. I, I know myself. Sure. Which I guess this – and this might surprise you. Now that he's gone, he's just not – I'm not going to root against him. Like, if he does well, good for him. Like, yeah, but I I'm guess kind of like you, him. I'm not going to necessarily root for him. But I don't – now I'm not going to spend my days, like, running Fuente down if he gets another head coaching job. Like, no, I just, no, he's yeah. out of my life, and, and that's yes. the best part. I like, don't have to hear that tone of voice of, oh, there's a hard way to lose a game. and I, like, I don't have to. Tone, his tone of voice, I don't yeah. have to hear it anymore. I'm so excited. And I don't have to see, you know, the rally round me right before we go into the locker room so I can tell you how we are going to blow this game in the second half. Like, I don't have to see yep. that anymore on yep. TV. Like, that's going to be nice. And yep. I just think... This is the best for both for both sides. I think Fuente was in over his head. I think Fuente was probably tired of the tough questions and the booing and the fire Fuente chance. Um, empty seats everywhere. Empty, yeah, seeing empty seats in the fourth quarters and Third, fans getting frustrated and having to deal with all that. I'm sure he was tired of it. Yep. Um, tech fans I appreciate were tired that of he it. negotiated. I appreciate that. I said a couple weeks ago, I think I said on the podcast, if he's ever cared about Virginia Tech, he should negotiate, get out of here, get out of the way early so that we can move on to the next guy, have a guy in December, try to hit that recruiting date that we need to do. He did that. I'll give him that credit. Thanks, man. You you aren't the worst person ever. Yeah, he's just split not the difference. our football coach. Yeah, split yeah. the difference on the, Fair enough. Yeah. the amount that he was going to be owed, uh, which is fine. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I, I just one. think this is this is – the best thing that could happen to Virginia Tech football today. Um, yep. There are a lot of weeks where we don't get any wins, and this week we got two. We beat Duke, yeah. and oh, I we know called our, you. We know the I coaching. You immediately that said. Well, I got to give credit to John Leonard. Group. I didn't see it. I was pumping gas and <laughs> trying to I figure to out friends, work. Whenever stuff, we win yeah. a big football game, there's a one friend that we talk. When we win a big basketball or football game, we call each other, and I after work we talk because we won today. Yeah, it's a big win. 
Now you get yeah. Miami, and yeah, it's going to be a short week for Coach Price. And we might get killed this weekend, but I, I feel better about this killing than if. But and Mike Barber alluded to it, and I brought it up there too. Like Manny Diaz is going to get fired. That's a dead man walking. So, yeah. with doing this now, and there's a lot of people being like, "Why not? You know, why not just wait and see what happens? If you win these two games no. and Pitt loses, no. like you could win the Coastal. You you no. still have meaningful games. I don't care." Again, we should play the, the lottery if that's the, the case. best part. Yes. The best thing that happened is I can now root for Virginia Tech without worrying if Virginia Tech wins. Is this guy going to buy himself some more time? It's like JMU with uh, Brady, Matt Brady. Yeah, it's like Virginia him going to the with, tournament that year was the Grove. worst thing that happened to JMU. JMU was ready to let him go. And then three schools got banned from competing in the CAA tournament whether it was because they were moving or they were academically ineligible for one school um i know i mean again i bring that up so jamie fans can hear it again the only reason jamie went to the tournament is because schools were banned from competing in the basketball tournament now i didn't see the outrage yeah. in harrisonburg then but yeah. uh he he was the beneficiary of that because he bought himself more time he went to the tournament yeah. and jamie yeah. then is like well we can't fire him now i didn't want that for virginia tech i didn't want fuente to figure out how to win the coastal Getting the ACC championship, and God help us if he won it, because the Atlantic's not great. I mean, yeah. ugh. I'm glad he's gone. I'm glad he's gone. I think this is the celebration everybody's been waiting to hear from us. Uh, we'll be really excited when there's a new head coach. I'll be eager to be excited about the new head coach. I think Elliott's a big name that I'd like to see. But again, I think I'm saying that because others aren't saying it. S- Napier, good coach. Wit uh, Clawson's a great coach. I mean, there's a lot of good things about these. I'm gonna. I want to like whoever comes in. I yes. trust Wit, and so I'm looking forward to this process. Uh, we're not gonna know who the head coach is though until they are hired. We're not gonna have a bunch of leaks. So uh, just get ready for that. If anybody has that inside source, bull. You you don't have it. Wit Wit's the one yeah. that's gonna know. So well, I mean, I'm hearing rumblings. The- I I haven't. I don't have a source <laughs> at Virginia Tech, and I haven't talked to anyone in Tuscaloosa. But I'm hearing. I'm hearing rumblings that Nick Saban may be interested in Blacksburg. So, all right, well, let's uh, rumble ourselves into the D block. All right, we want to thank Mike Barber again for coming on and talking with us. Always a pleasure to have him on. And again, I know this episode's running long, but it's because he's so good and Leland and I in the front end uh, just can't shut up. So, um, <laughs> Leland, what is dominating your life? Um, if you are looking for a house or you want to uh, you know, move from where you're at and, and you know what it takes to maintain your yard, and you find a nice house up in the woods that's you know, hidden away from somebody else, just don't do it. I've lived my entire life in this situation and I blow leaves. Like November is blowing leaves. I have this steel backpack blower. As soon as I was big enough to hold the thing as a kid, my dad had me on that thing. And you just spend Saturdays and Sundays just blowing leaves. And you, I blew leaves three times last week and never enjoyed a clear driveway and clear yard because immediately it gets covered right back. It's just, it's, it's, you know, you mow grass once a week, but at least you have a couple of days where it looks fresh and smells fresh and it's not blowing leaves. While you're blowing, the wind can be blowing to where you just, it doesn't look like you've done anything. And it's just defeating. It's a whole mental game that it's just the wind playing games with you. 
and uh, you know that movie, The Happening, with Mark Wahlberg and yeah. Zoe Deschanel, where the the wind is killing everybody. That's the what. That's how I have felt this week. I feel like the wind is trying to kill me, and so uh, there's my recommendation: don't live in the woods. Don't have to deal with all these leaves. Um, I love my house otherwise, but this isn't the week to talk about it. Every other other week, every other time during the pandemic, it was great having all the space and all these kids to run and a shade and it was springtime and the wind was blowing in and it made us feel like things were normal. But this is just not the week to talk to me about, about my house, where it sits, the trees around it. I want to burn every tree around my house and live in a wide open space right now. Wow. That's amazing. Um, yeah. And I guess that's the difference. I've never understood. I get clearing the driveway. That makes sense to me. But in terms of like, oh, I got to get these leaves off my yard. Like, I've never understood that. Um, I like I like to have grass. I don't want it to die. I don't want it to just It's going to die anyway in the winter. The grass? Yeah. No, I'm talking brown. you leave. You, okay. And this is fine. You haven't lived in, in the woods. Uh, if you just leave these leaves sitting there on your grass, then you have dirt next Love spring it. and summer. Let's like absolute it. dirt. No grass, no nothing. Good. So it just would absolutely kill your grass. Now, I know some people live in places where the tree, there's not, you're not just in the middle of the tree. So maybe some leaves come on and the wind does blow them off. You don't have to deal with it. That's, that's a nice situation. My dad, who, you know, owned the house I grew up in, he has that situation now. And he talks about how great that is. But no, he, when you live in the woods, you got, you got to move them. Otherwise, you're just going to kill everything living in your yard. And it looks terrible. Mm. It, it, it just, it absolutely makes sense. Uh, the first year we moved into our house, when I was like five at our old house, they said, oh, yeah, the, the wind will just blow them off. You know, that'll, that'll be fine. Well, we left them there that whole fall and winter. And in the spring, there's no grass and everything's dead. So we learned that lesson in 1990. So um, you haven't had to learn that lesson. That's fair. So I've I've educated you that you do have to move them. And it's fine. I have the equipment to handle it. So it's not the worst thing in the world. But it's defeating. Second question. You haven't come yeah. up with a clever game to trick the kids into doing it for you? They're just not quite big enough. They can't hold that blower. My dad. No, no, no. Not talking, not talking about the blower. Not talking about the blower. You haven't tricked the kids into a game of like gathering the leaves, seeing who can have the biggest pile or something. I've done it with sticks. I've done it with sticks after ice storms and stuff. I've done that. They're, the leaves are, it, it's, they're leaves. They're not. Yeah, but they. Just this get is big armfuls. A haystack. And... This isn't, you know, singular items. These, these are these are rice. This isn't. <laughs> you just get They're a like... big armful, <laughs> arms full. Like yeah, my six-year-old's big armful is like eight leaves. Like. <laughs> but you're watching football. I guess that's my point. While they're doing, we're that. on our way. I, I spent both both Saturday morning and Sunday into the afternoon dealing with these leaves, and that was after doing it on Tuesday night too. I wouldn't so. want to do it. I still prioritize my life enough to watch football. Like I'm not, I'm not some kind of caveman. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Well, what is dominating my life? Uh, <laughs> after the VCU women's game, I drove back from Richmond, got back in time to watch the majority of the team USA versus Mexico Olympic qualifying match at Cincinnati on Friday night. And that was a big win for Team USA. Dos Acero, um, big win. They've beaten Mexico now. I think it's the last three times or last four times they have played Mexico uh, in competitive matches. So 
Team USA is looking up. Right now they're at the top of that group, tied with Mexico, but ahead on goal differential in the Olympic qualifying. And that's once around the schedule. Now they'll have to go back the other way. And the difficult part will be the next time they play Mexico, it will be in Mexico, probably at the Stadia Azteca. Uh, They will play Canada in Canada. Canada's had a very strong Olympic qualifying campaign. Um, But I think Team USA will qualify for Qatar. I hope they do it at the top of the group, but as long as they make it in, I guess, I won't care too much. Um, but it's looking it's looking good right now for Team USA. That was a much-needed win against Mexico in a very chippy rivalry type of atmosphere. Uh, they found a way to win. Obviously, Christian Pulisic scores the first goal. That was huge. Uh, seeing him, he is obviously the future that I've talked about numerous times on this podcast for Team USA. He got that first goal, and the second goal was a thing of beauty as well, uh, where it, Team USA just is starting to look like Team USA should. They're getting the best players from the world and not just looking at, hey, these guys play MLS, so we're going to take them because you guys left us and some warped version of these people should all want to play in MLS versus get better by playing the with the best players in the world. Good. I mean, that's the soccer that I watch at that level. And at, at pro level soccer, I watched the World Cup and I root for USA. So that's good. Good to hear it. All right. So let's get out of here. It's been a scrambled around podcast uh, between recording Monday and then trying to swing back and get all the big news that dropped down Tuesday. So we appreciate Mike Barber so much for uh, sitting with us two nights in a row on Zoom and recording podcast and, and basically re-recording a, a huge segment of his part of the interview. So we just can't thank him enough. Always have to push people towards his uh, Richmond Times articles, but also his podcasts with Teal to Teal and Barber podcast. I really do recommend it uh, every week, not just when Fuente gets fired, but every single week. So we appreciate you guys listening. We appreciate all the people that it takes to put this podcast together and the patience from uh, my wife and family here two nights living with Help Me uh, while I record this podcast. So I appreciate them. But we want to remind all listeners to follow us at Yak Sports Pod on Twitter, on Facebook or emailing us at yaksportspod at gmail.com. Make sure your friends know what we're talking about on this podcast, all the local sports that matter to you, the Augusta County sports fan, and make sure they're subscribed to us on Podbean, Apple, Spotify, um, any one of the normal podcast places they can find us. And uh, we'll be back next week with more Yak Sports Podcast.